Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. What's happening, weirdos? Uh, how cool is this? Jack Johnson uh, came into the studio to make it weird, and he was wonderful. So uh, let's get to it. You, you know this part as quickly as possible. I do want to say I have some live stand-up dates uh, coming up in Los Angeles at Largo, uh, October 19th. Wait, is it past October? Is it past October 19th? No. October 19th. <laughs> I don't know what month it is. October 19th, I'm going to be there doing stand-up with some wonderful guests. Always a great lineup. November 9th, I'm going to be uh, uh, doing a special show called Pete is Writing a Book, where I will be workshopping and reading sections of the book that I've been working on for the past couple years uh, about spirituality. It's, it's funny. It's a memoir. It, should be enter- it will be. It will be entertaining and fun, and there'll be guests on that as well. And then December 7th will be another stand-up show at Largo. For tickets to those, go to Largo-LA.com. Hope to see you out. We have some new sponsors for this show. I want to thank our sponsors. One of them, this this is all in the family. This is HBO. Uh, it's the new show, Felipe Esparza. Felipe Esparza. Translate this. I don't know if you know this, but best known for having a raw and real sensibility that's relatable to audiences everywhere, comedian Felipe Esparza stars in his first HBO comedy special, Translate this. It's an uproarious hour of stand-up comedy featuring unconventional riffs on the immigrant experience and his everyday battles in his life. Shares stories about translating for his parents as a kid, how his father got got his family from the U.S. from Mexico, and becoming a father himself while still in high school. All performed in English with Spanish peppered throughout. So please watch Translate This on HBO and HBO Latino Saturday, September 30th at 10 p.m. Uh, I also want to give a shout-out to The Peach Picks. We know The Peach Picks. We love The Peach Picks. I've been taking this MCT oil now in my tea in the morning, and, it, it, I, you know, it's, it's really a game-changer. That's why it's a Peach Pick. It's made by our friends at Onnit, who also make Alpha Brain. And uh, what MCT oil is, it's a coconut-based oil, which is medium-chain triglycerides. I remember I talked about this stuff with uh, Mark Paul Gossler, when he was on the podcast, and here I am doing it all these years later, uh, because this is a vegan solution. It's not like people who put butter in their coffee, but <laughs> it's uh, 100% coconut sourced. Uh, it takes that fat and gives you something that sustains your appetite. I snack less. I eat less. I feel fulfilled. I feel happy. And it, it definitely gives my brain an extra, like, kind of reserve tank of fuel for creativity and focus, which is always what I'm looking for. It has a positive effect on your leptin receptors, which assist in keeping you feeling full and satisfied. And anybody that gets jittery from caffeine, such as myself, it really smooths that out and gives you a steady supply of energy throughout the day. I'm currently editing Crashing. It's taking a lot of mental and physical energy, and it's wonderful to have this on my side. In fact, I've been joking that I haven't been exercising very much. Since I've been taking MCT oil, I've been feeling more energy, and as a result, I have been exercising, going on hikes and whatnot more. So I think this is a wonderful product. That's why it's a Pete's Pick. If you want to try it, it's the same way you try Alpha Brain, which is onit.com slash weird, and you'll get 10% off. Tastes great, feels great, give it a try. Also, while you're there, pick up some Alpha Brain. 
this is this is another product that I swear by. I always have at least four or five alpha brains in my pocket because it's like fish food for monogamy. It's all earth-grown ingredients, helps with memory, concentration, focus. Anytime I have to do a podcast, including the one you're about to listen to, anytime I'm writing a script, anytime I'm doing stand-up, anything that involves my brain, I'm taking three alpha brain about 15 minutes before. It's not a stimulant. It's not like coffee. It doesn't give you like a jolt of jittery energy. It just gives your brain some food to run on, and I swear by it. If you want to try MCT oil or Alpha Brain, like I said, on it, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird. The other product that I take most days is called Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil. This is derived from the hemp plant, but it is CBD, not THC, which means it is not psychoactive. It doesn't get you stoned. It's something that you can read on, you can work on. Uh, it just is a wonderful anxiety reducer for me. helps with headaches, aches, and pains. As I always say, stuck in a middle seat on an airplane, it's wonderful to know that I have this in my bag. It's legal in all 50 states. Like I said, it's it's made from hemp, but it's not the same thing as marijuana. Smoking marijuana. <laughs> what am I, your dad? Smoking marijuana. It just gives me a healthy, happy glow that I swear by. A little bit quicker to laugh, a little bit quicker to smile. It just helps me lighten up. And as a result, it makes me drink less, a little bit healthier. Great for your brain, great for your body. If you want to try it, CBD oil, this is the only hemp oil that's grown for human consumption. Any other hemp oil you get, it's my understanding, might have been made for a belt or oil. This is only for human consumption by our friends, the Stanley Brothers, who did a wonderful episode of this very podcast. If you want to try it, go to cwhemp.com weird and use promo code KEEPITCRISPY and you'll get 10% off. I like the Everyday Advanced or the Everyday Plus. Mint chocolate is the flavor of preference for me. We have a new sponsor, Bombfell. I, I know this is true for most guys. Shopping for clothes can be a total pain. Shopping in general. But Bombfell is an easier way for men to get better clothes. I just signed up for this. It was fun. It was easy. And the clothes are wonderful. It's an online personal styling service that helps men find the right clothes for them. It's simple and straightforward. All you have to do is complete a questionnaire and a dedicated personal stylist will handpick pieces specifically for you. Then, once you've seen your selections, you have 48 hours to make any changes or even cancel altogether. You're in total control and you only pay for the clothes you keep. Plus, you have the option of receiving clothes uh, once every one, two, or three months. It's all up to you. And because Bombfell is on your side, they don't make money if you don't find something you want to keep. I think that's awesome. I think that's really nice. They keep themselves accountable. Like I said, you sign up. It's fun. I didn't expect it to be fun, but it's fun to click around, kind of almost like taking a personality survey, but for clothing, in a fun way, in an easy way, and then they send you stuff that honestly I was surprised at, at how on the money they were. Best of all, we've negotiated with Bombfell to get our listeners a special offer of $25 off your first purchase when you when you go to bombfell.com slash weird. So if you're tired of uh, shopping for clothes the regular way, you want a little help looking a little bit better or a lot better, go to bombfell, B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash weird. Open and close. <laughs> I like that. Open and close. Oh, you get it? You say it, Val. Open and close? Clothes. Oh. Okay. Yeah, see? Okay, I didn't get it. I was reading it, so I got it, and I wanted to make sure you got it. And now that we both got it, as my mom says, we're going to hold on to it. Uh, hope to see you October 19th. 
uh, or December 7th at Largo for stand-up. Also, November 9th. It would be great if a lot of weirdos came out. I would love to hear what you guys think about the book that I'm working on. And uh, in the meantime, enjoy Jack Johnson, who, uh, no surprise here, is a delight. Is a delight. Get into it. Val? Get into it. Zip recruiter? Zip recruiter. <laughs> <laughs> and in case you're wondering, yes, the air conditioner is broken. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> what are you doing? I, 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 you know, it's funny because I'm excited to talk to you, but I don't know what your life is like. Are you busy promoting, doing press? Are you on going, a radio tour? We're going straight into it, huh? Yeah, yeah, sure. Which is good. Right? <laughs> a lot of times you, you get there and you chat and you give them all your best stuff and then all of a sudden the interview oh, starts. Oh, you, you got to record. You can't start I over. I mean, is that, that's got to be a principle of music as well, is it's the, it's the riffs before you begin. Yeah. Right? Oh, we can get into that. Yeah, I mean, so much times, like, right when you push record, you're like, oh, damn. It goes away. All that good stuff is gone already. I know directors that don't say action. They yeah. say whenever you're ready. Right. They just go like, uh, go, go into it. Yeah. Like, you need something that we know that the cameras are rolling. Yeah, yeah. But like the, or the, maybe it's better you don't though. I mean, even though they're right? rolling sometimes. Well, that's why doc, you, you're a documentary, and that's why documentaries are so amazing. Yeah, is because and I know for a fact that they do tricks where they're like, oh, the camera's not working or whatever. You know what I mean? Not yeah, to yeah. not to trick people into giving something they don't want to give away. Can I just start by admitting I'm um, kind of I'm I'm all uh, nervous now because uh, before. Before yesterday, I didn't. I had never seen your show or anything, and then so yeah. you were asking if I'm doing press, and then <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'm kind of on this little run where we're running around doing little things, and mm-hmm. and so then I was like, hey, what's this deal I got to do tomorrow? And they were like, oh, this guy Pete Holmes, he has a show called Crashing. You should check it out. It's real funny. My friend Josh and Emmett, that was just there. Yeah. So last, I'm tired right now because last night I stayed up like all night watching, like binge watching. No, crashing. no way. So now I'm like starstruck and all nervous. That's amazing. It, hey, that show is amazing. Hey, that's, that's like incredible. the funniest show I've ever seen. No way. I feel bad because I've watched so many episodes without my wife, and she hates when I watch stuff like without her. If she wants to, yes. she likes when I watch stuff she doesn't like because right. I just like get it out of the way. Get it out of the way. But for like sure. I know she'll love this, uh, the whole series. Oh so now man, I'm gonna have to watch like episode episodes one through five again just oh so she can catch god. up. Oh my god, we got to get a song yeah. season two, All Jack right. Johnson, dude. You're just, I'm, I, I'm in. I love the soundtrack you did for Curious George. Not that it would be know. the same way. No, I, I, I wouldn't someone... give you that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, banana pancakes would apply to a lot of these, sure, a sure. lot of the moments. Yeah, Pete is kind of a curious. Yeah. he is kind of a big birdie kind of guy. Yeah, that's like what my character double, is. Double entendres too. Yeah. <laughs> That I'm so tall, you yeah. mean? No, just mean uh, some of the, the banana pancakes. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, he makes he makes more banana pancakes yeah. in the second season, which oh, really? is going to be more exciting. Awesome. Oh, yeah, a little teaser. No, the character is amazing. Thanks, man. It's, it, it is kind of me. Did you grow up? I was up? wondering, yeah. I started wondering if it was how much of that was you or how much was a, a persona or a character. Yeah, well, it's kind of like a vacation getting to be him again. Yeah. yeah I, I'm sure you really. How old are you now? Uh, 42. 42. So yeah. we're similar. I'm 38. So now I'm pretending to be basically 28. I figured out you're 38 because one of the one of the episodes you said you were 36, and it was like two years ago. One of the episodes uh, of this, this show. Yeah, because I also oh, went last night and was like, come on, I man. listened to uh, the one with Andy Dick. No way. Like good choice. He was a good, with, good uh, guest. With Sarah Silverman. Yes. Which one? There was two. Oh, I think it might have been the second. You yeah, where we like talked that. about how she didn't like her special. Yeah, which that turned was out to one. be amazing. Yeah, she edited I, it. Yeah. She has that. Has that happened to you? Have you ever 
thought something stunk and then you, you found, like, get real low, that you think something's great, you record it. This kind of goes back to what we were just saying. Yeah. Then the the cameras are on, or in your case, the mics are on. Yeah, so and much And all of, the sex yeah. and magic goes away. Like, yeah. it's just, suddenly, it's just a guy with a box of wood with strings on it. Totally. Right? I mean, so many of the things you guys were talking about, they resonated because it's a lot of similar stuff. But aren't, isn't that your job? Aren't you kind of an alchemist in that way? Like, your music sounds very intimate. It right. really sounds like I'm at your house in the right way. Right, this right. could sound like, oh, I'm calling you unpolished. <laughs> no, no, I'm no. saying it sounds polished and professional, right. but it sounds like I'm, I'm kicking it with you, and uh, you just kind of take out the guitar in the right way, like at that right moment yeah, in yeah, the yeah. party. Yeah. Not the guy that's, like, bringing it out too early <laughs> or too late, but at that right just pocket, the right time. and then you play, and everybody's kind of in that... You're creating yeah. a space. No, we've done that before, especially with, um, I mean, the live, like whenever you try to do a live record, it's kind of similar. So yeah. nowadays we just record. I mean, technology is so easy now because we just record every show. Is that and right? Then, yeah. So now we just like, we put out a live record Isn't that last the year. Best? And we just basically, you know, the band was like, what was the best shows? We kind of thought that one in Paris seemed pretty great. Yeah. And we kind of just remembered some of the good shows and we listened through to those and picked, you know, songs. So it's a those. compilation of, of yeah, a bunch yeah, of live from shows. last year. Yeah, that, Isn't that the best? But that's better. I mean, just going back to your question, because I've also done the one where it's like, okay, we're going to record this show. And then it's kind of like the whole time you're just thinking oh in between God. songs, like, how was that last version? That's and what Late Night is. Yeah. You've done Late Night. You, yeah. you have to go out and oh. play and it's like, and play it now. TV is the worst, man. It's like, Oh, me, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people that throws them off too because all of a sudden you got these cameras zooming yes. around and you can't help but start thinking there's like, what, like a million people behind that thing. That's you know? right. That's what it's you so try weird. not to think. Yeah. But any situation, especially experience. as an artist, exactly out of body. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> because our job is to be, especially as a musician, obviously as comedians, we're listening for that feedback all the time. But you're listening for a different kind of frequency, I have to imagine. Yeah, yeah, sure. They, it's not laughter or even clapping. <laughs> there's yeah. always the one guy offbeat. Yeah. It's not that. You're listening for some sort of the frequency of attention being paid. Yeah, for, but laughter sometimes too. I mean, sure. I love the comedy tragedy. I mean, you know, some of my favorite uh, musicians are able to tell a story and make you laugh your ass off. But then when they play the song, it makes you want to cry. Yeah. Kind of like that Kurt Vonnegut thing, you know, you have to choose laughter or tears. Yeah. And he always sort of chose laughter. And I don't know, for me, it's the same. It's like in between sometimes, I mean, I want to, you know, with the stories, you are looking for laughter. And yeah. sometimes they don't laugh, you know, I'm no stand-up comedian like you yeah. guys. But it's like, it's funny when you tell a little thing you think is... One time, me and my friend Zach, uh, who plays piano in a band, we we thought this thing was so damn funny that we couldn't <laughs> we couldn't stop laughing because we were we were somewhere in like... Shit, we were in England somewhere, and he said, um, "Some these girls in the front, they yelled, Jack, I want your babies. And um, <laughs> it was a really quiet show. Like, it had been so damn quiet the whole night. And then these girls, they They don't like, just want to have sex with you. They want to raise your they family. They said, like, I want, I want your babies. And, uh, and for some reason, I just said, you know what? I'm not going to give them to you. And, uh, and I thought it was kind of funny, but nobody laughed at all. Yes. And then that wasn't that funny. But then all of a sudden. No, that is funny because it's, it's implying that you have babies. Yeah, if, and you're going to keep them. Right. But I guess the rewrite would be, I think it would be irresponsible of me to give you my children. Yeah, that may have been better. I could have got a I'm not saying it's better. I'm saying got a my... chuckle out of this guy. But the part that got me was then Zach, out of nowhere, my piano player, he's like, man, it's got a real Rumpelstiltskin vibe around here. Because these girls one of my children. That's and, right. And uh, That's the... I thought it was so damn funny. I couldn't, I couldn't compose myself for like three songs. I just... <laughs> Would start the song and I would just laugh through the whole thing and have to step back from the microphone because like because <laughs> Rumpelstiltskin wanted her children right yeah exactly unless he could say her name he would take her baby yeah, that's and she all been gold and all that stuff and then so to me it was like the funniest thing anybody had ever said in the history of humanity and and 
nobody in the crowd even laughed, you know, so it's, I'm but digressing, it, but the point is, is like, yeah, we, we do look for those, uh, those reactions, and sometimes, like, I always tell friends, like, they'll come and see a show, and they'll be like, oh, man, I was great, or whatever, and you're like, you should have been there last night, like, you know, because yes. that, that crowd that night, the response they're giving you, you kind of feed off of that, and like, right. the more they give you, the more you give back. But you don't know if it's you, though. And it's context sometimes, like, the context is the bummer, is like, you have this whole tour to compare every song to, right, in right. a way, and I even heard you speaking about, um, sometimes, like, the, the, the room, or somebody was talking about this, maybe it was a documentary I watched about comedians recently, called Dying Laughing, it was really yeah. interesting, and it was something about the room, it's like, sometimes it takes too long for, like, the reaction from what you said to hit the back of the room and then that like to get that wave back I think it was Kevin you, Hart reverberation. yeah he's talking about playing arenas yeah I just did interesting I did Radio City I opened for Chappelle and I was performing for 7,000 people and I was like I don't care for this yeah I'll bet because I mean in the sense of like when you play a smaller room you get that immediate yeah. response that's on. what comedy is all about I'm not yeah. here to wait for the laugh yeah, yeah. it really was as a server, you can appreciate it was a wave. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, here comes a set of laughs." Totally. Like, yeah. and I guess I, I had to stand there in faith right. that the back was laughing, and they just have it. Just hasn't yeah, gotten yeah, to me yeah, to yeah. sign for it. It's yet. similar, it's... but you, but that whole thing of like you finding Rumble Stillskin being hilarious, or finding a song being funny or moving or whichever or mm. a mix of both, you're still trying to capture that lightning in the bottle. You know that yeah. the vibe that you're creating, which is the compliment, I think, is a high compliment. So casual sounding. Right. How do you? What is your approach? Do you record everything? Are, are you in the studio? Or are you trying to keep it as non-studio as possible? I picture the doors open and the ocean outside. We're trying to make it as professional as we can. That's just the best we can do. <laughs> it's a it's a five minute ride from the beach. It's really distracting. My brothers are constantly texting me whenever the waves get good. Oh, really? Like missing it and stuff. So, so it's, it's exactly what I imagine. It's is. hard to get anything done in there for sure. And it's um, yeah, you know, it's it is detached from. The, the rest of the world and you know like whenever I make a record I've usually been away from all of this like doing any kind of press or doing any kind of shows or being in front of cameras or microphones right. for long enough because once I finish a tour I kind of am pretty sure I'm never going to do it again I love it I love playing music but I'm like so it kills you it, and it does and it's like on my nervous system and everything by the end I'm kind of like what it's I, not what you got into it why do I do that you know like why do I get in front of people I don't know every night and do this like and I think I'm never going to do that again and then a year goes by and somehow I forget all that again. And then just the whole thing of creating songs and writing, the songs are all there. And then like the idea of getting in the studio with my friends and sitting around and drinking coffee and coming up with production ideas, that's all fun. By the time we do that part of the deal, we're so far from all of this that right. I, don't, I try to always think of like who I wrote that song for, like whose conversation sparked that song. So sometimes it'll be one of my brothers, sometimes it's one of my best friends. You know, the love songs or my wife, it's always kind of like trying to just make her laugh around the house. Right. And I have to be far enough away that I can finish writing that one song for that one person. And same thing in the studio. It's kind of, you know, somewhere in the back of your mind, people are going to hear this, but that pressure is way different. Of um, course. Because I'm so far from it that I'm just kind of trying to make a record my friends would dig. But it's made in the small hours of time. You know, yeah. I have to imagine. Yeah. It's, you, you sound very much like, you know, I'm making a TV show, and that's similar to albums. Yeah. You know, there's seasons and there's tracks. There's, mm-hmm. We yeah, do eight yeah. tracks. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit different, but like the show. Do you shoot them all at once and then decide? No, because the storyline actually has to go on. So you well, can't sequence things... it after. We get to sequence after. We yeah, get to go, that's Ooh, the this difference. This song works better here and there. And... and then you get to put these 
like almost like uh, subliminal messages in the pairing of two songs. Yeah, I think you guys get you're making a concept record because you got to basically exactly. know ahead of time that this is my right. sequence. And- but when I'm shooting, and for me, it's it's not the same as touring. I've also toured, but shooting is like a lot of people touching you. Like mm-hmm. you're always getting mic'd up. You're always yeah, yeah, getting powder ma- makeup. Yeah. Exactly, right. makeup and and hair and and you and people are telling you, um, you know, it's it's a privilege. But you know, there's a lot of like you have to stand here, you have to do this, and it's this scene. There's not a lot of wild freedom we improvise but there's not a lot of wild freedom I think what you and I probably both got into this for is the wild freedom of getting up at three in the morning because you have a melody in your head that happens a lot and then you're just sitting on a chair and you're playing it for you and then the alchemy becomes how do I take that you're saying remember the conversation you had Mm -hmm. that's what a comedian does Mike Birbiglia said to me I told him a joke and he goes uh, try and remember the conversation you had that inspired that joke. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it's going to start feeling jokey. Right. That's and then we're just point. telling jokes. That's why I close my eyes a lot, to be honest. Like, <laughs> Is while that I'm, right? While I'm singing, it's like I truly do, like, especially on a night where I'm feeling a little off, I'll close my eyes because I'm trying yes. to think back to the actual place I was or the person I was talking to when that song began so yes. I can still feel the truth in the lyrics. Right. Know? Right. It's similar with, with comedy. I, I can see it where it's... Um, if you forget what... It, well, it's a great Bono quote. He goes, I can't hit the notes if, I, if I'm not in the song. Yeah, yeah. And it's for me, it's the same... I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's no, the no, same no. thing. It's like, I, if I don't remember what's funny about it, yeah. it's why I laugh a lot at my yeah. own jokes. Because I'm trying to re-experience yeah. with the audience. Right. And I have to imagine it feels like you're doing the same thing. Yeah, very much so. I Especially, mean, I guess, with some of the sadder songs or, or the heartbreak yeah. songs. Yeah, I, those I'm are hard to play that, live sometimes. I have to imagine. Yeah, because I mean, we don't tend to favor them just because those are ones I feel like, you know, you write them and you put them on a record because you're feeling a certain way. But I don't usually feel like that when I'm in front of 10,000 people. Right. You know, like, I feel like having a party. And the adrenaline like, carries yeah. you over. So it's it's like back when you see back, you don't want too many tracks from Sea Change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love Sea Change. I do too. Yeah, I love That's my favorite back record. Yeah, he's amazing. But one of my favorite songs of yours is uh, Cocoon. Forgive me oh, for right knowing. I, I don't know if it's annoying to reference older stuff. Oh, thank you. But I'm yeah, a big cool. fan of, of. I just asked my friend as we walked in. Song. This is the coolest setup too. I spend so much time in these kind of shops because yeah. I got a 13 year old kid. Is that right? And 11 and seven, and so we literally <laughs> go in there and we know the different types, like the ones that'll let you sit in the in the aisles and read, and the ones yeah. that kick you out for doing that. And stuff, I think this know? is an aisle set read. Yeah, it seems like that kind it of. It definitely is. And, uh, I- as we were walking in, though, I was like, oh, I wonder, do you think he knows like any of my songs or anything? So yeah. thanks for referencing one off the second <laughs> of record. Co- oh, no, I do. And <laughs> I cool. listened to the new record on the way in, and, oh, right and it's incredible. Cool. Thanks. Man. It's really, really nice. But you seem like a really woke person. I don't want to put the pressure on you to sound woke now. <laughs> but like one of the things that I didn't realize I was relating to when I was younger, and you were younger, we were around the same age, listening to your earlier stuff was there are these little messages in there mm-hmm. that I only fully appreciate now. Oh, that's funny. Isn't that it. fun? Oh, yeah, Tell cool. me what that made you think of. Well, because for me, it's like I read, a lot of us read these books in high school that we're supposed to read. And you reread them. And then I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I just recently, well, it was like five years ago maybe, I was like walking out of this bookstore and they had a back to school sale. Yeah. And it had like every book you, you're supposed to read in high school, you know, like Catcher in a Rye and yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, whatever, Walden, all these things. And I was like, I don't remember reading some of these, and I definitely like don't feel like I got that one. So yeah. I like I loaded up. I just got them all. Yeah. Like I just went over and got like fifteen books, you know. And I was like, all right, well, they're all half off. I'm getting these, and I started rereading a lot of those. And something like Catcher in a Rye, for instance, you know, it's like how are you supposed to know what the loss of innocence feels like when you haven't when lost you haven't it, lost you know? it? You're just a guy <laughs> so, going like, yeah. I guess people are phonies. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's true. And so, anyways, like the cocoon is interesting because I don't even know if when I wrote that song, I was watching. 
some older friends go through a divorce. Uh-huh. And I was like, I love them both so much as individuals. And like, it was kind of me uh, projecting onto them. I hope they can come through this feeling like they learned something and feeling mm-hmm. like they're still whole people who can still have a life mm-hmm. and they're not going to feel broken in half, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but when I listen to it now, yeah, that song sometimes makes me sad where I can be at this point in my life where I can kind of know more what that must have felt like for them yes. when they were that age. Me you know? too. Well, when I loved that song, I wasn't yet divorced. Yeah. And then when I got divorced, I certainly went back to yeah. it. Oh. But then there are, there are songs of yours that like, first of all, I think you're very funny. Oh, and I think thanks. you have a comedian sensibility. I'll give you a specific example. What if I just left it at that? Yeah. <laughs> I have a specific <laughs> example. You say in one of your songs, everyone laughed at a joke as if they had never really yeah. heard it before. Right. I, I can't say the rest of it correctly. Uh, maybe, maybe they were truly amused or maybe every word that she spoke was a bore. And then maybe it's because they had seen mm. the previews on the TV screen. This, this part, part is good, good and, and that's it's well understood. understood. Yeah. So you should laugh if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's a comedian's thought. Is it? That, is, that question makes me want to ask you, and I will, if you feel anxiety or if you feel like an outsider. Because a comedian, to me, mm. one definition, is the guy in the movie going, that joke was in the preview. Yeah. How dare we whore ourselves out and laugh? Really? That's I really cool. think that's a comedy yeah. thought, especially as people, as purveyors and, and respecters of laughter. Right, right. We're like, you know, but people are afraid and people are also just trying to have a good time. Yeah, sure. And that is a good part. Yeah. And it was in the preview. Yeah. But sometimes it's not as funny as the laugh that it gets yeah. because it was in the preview. 100%, yeah. <laughs> happens all the time. It's something I watch for in movies now. After I, I, I noticed it that first time I wrote that lyric. God, I forget what the movie was now. I think it was something really random. It was like, uh, I remember it was Julia Roberts and it was, uh, <laughs> it was a movie called uh, Aaron Brockovich. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, Aaron so, Brockovich, sure. Anyways, it was like randomly, it was that movie. Uh, and it was just this one line they had on the commercial over and over. It was a big movie at the time. Right. And, I just and remember, back then you'd see the commercial a yeah, thousand times. Yeah, you times. would. And then I was in the movie and I just remember that line came and I didn't think it was that much better and everything else but if you were to graph it uh, you know like on a piece of paper it was just exponentially louder laughter right and yeah then I've noticed it a million times since where um, and then I'll notice whether I laugh because sometimes there's that comfort in knowing what's coming Mm -hmm. you know like rereading a book and well, kind of we, uh, it, just like excited for that part that's coming well, up. Well, it's, it's you're in the museum and you find the Picassos. Yeah. And you go, these are the good ones. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. You just go, ah, there's a relief that comes yeah. in conformity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go like, I spend so much time. It's so exhausting evaluating and grading things. Yeah. Sometimes you just want to laugh at the air. That's the positive side. That's how we can love ourselves for laughing sure. at the Aaron Brockovich thing. But there is also something disturbing because this is why advertising works. Yeah. This is why conformity totally. is, is a yeah. plague. And you see this in some of your... Another lyric or song of yours, um, I'm going to get it wrong, but look at those fancy clothes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that song. Oh, thanks. Gone, that one's called. Gone. Great song. Thanks. But these will keep us warm just like those. It's it's Christ saying, give no thought to what you should wear. It's like, what are we doing? But laughing at Aaron Brockovich is the same as thinking a shirt is better because it has a swoosh on it. Right, yeah. Which you you and I are both old enough to remember there was a time when not every article of clothing was branded. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, remember, did you see Crumb, the documentary Crumb? Yeah, I did. That's right around that time, and he really had a hard time with people wearing shirts that said Pepsi for no reason. But now oh, you're just man. like, of course you wear a shirt that says Pepsi. Pepsi's cool, and I'm yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a trip. I mean, I had a hat on the other day because I was trying to walk through this crowd. Um, it was at a show we played a couple nights ago, and it was daylight still, and we were out in the front. We couldn't get our passes yet, and I was trying to get back there, so I 
grabbed a hat off my friend and I put it on <laughs> and I was and I had sunglasses on. I was like cruising around and then I saw a really close friend of mine and he looked at me and I could see his eyes go up and down to the hat and it was and I forget what it was something like you know it might have been Nike or something whatever hat I grabbed off of somebody and he was looking and, and he and I was like. It's like, yeah, I'm just really feeling this corporation right now. I just, I really want them to do well. I just got, you know, I feel like broadcasting them a little bit because I could just tell you was tripping. I had this corporation that's on my so forehead. That's so funny. Uh, just made me think of that. Of course, know. no, that's perfect because, it, but you've been deliberate in not buying into that. You know, like yeah. it, it's, it's one of the questions I had for you. I don't have many questions written down here. I have like oh. five I want to go back to that you made me think of, though. Please go back to those before because I have it written down. But one of them was just about when you finally find the Picasso. You know, uh, yeah. And it's and then it was making me think of the um, the one that you. These are the good ones. <laughs> yeah. And it's the opening the opening slot because you talked about that in one of your episodes. I think it was episode two, maybe where you're doing the opening. Um, you go to uh, where do you guys go? You you drive. Uh, oh, Albany. Albany, yeah. yeah. And you're and you're doing the opening gig. Yeah. And my friend, uh, this guy John Craigie, who I tour with a lot, he's really funny because he'll tell stories and make you want to. Laugh, like I said, and then the songs, you're ready for the song, and then you, and then you, oh, wait, the song's really sad. And he has this bit where he, where he talks about, he's like, the opening gig is tough. He's like, there's no other, you don't get it in many other, you know, art forms. He's yes. like, it's not like when you lay in your bed to read Steinbeck, all of a sudden somebody else jumps there, hang on, hang on, read, read this real quick. Or it's you like, open a Steinbeck book and yeah. another guy open mics it in yeah, front of him. He's just like, hang on, hang That's on. That's incredible. Or like you go and see the Mona Lisa and like, hang on, some guy jumps in front of you with That's a sketchbook. So just check these out That's... first. I know you're not... I know it's not as good, but you know you want to that's see these first. Hilarious. And making... every, that's hilarious. So well, that's how I felt opening for Chappelle. Yeah. I've never felt more in the way. Yeah. And I've never – no. well, they, they were a good audience. They were right. a great audience. Right. But I was in my own way. I wanted to see Chappelle. Yeah. I almost wanted to say that to them. I wanted to be like, I know. But I'm almost ma- done. That makes you the best opener. When you really <laughs> love that band or that person coming after you, I've yeah. done a lot of those gigs. And when you kind of like – you're in that role knowing I am the warm-up. You're not trying to yeah. like, compete. You know, when you're, when you're not trying to compete – then I think you're the best warm-up act because, because you're a you're fan, a fan too. too, and you're just like, I'm so happy to be here, and I know you guys want me off this stage, so I'm going to do my best right, <laughs> right now. Right, right. When that's your sentiment, I think you, you win already. Well, I used to do the uh, warm-up for The Daily Show, and that's what I would say, is oh, I would yeah. say, I know you want Jon Stewart, right. and I know I'm in your way, but that, that, I think yeah. this is pretty smart, showbiz smart. I would say, as soon as you guys are really good, I'm going to bring him <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, that's a good call. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I want what you want. I'll I want to bring him that. out. I'll use that soon. I'm, I'm, I'm open for, uh, for Willie Nelson and Neil Young in like a week here. I'm doing Farm Aid with those guys. Perfect. And so... You can say as long as... I'll when you guys are really hot, yeah. I'm going to get out of here. Yeah, I want you guys go nuts. <laughs> I, got a, uh, I got a song maybe I'll have to play for you in a minute though that I wrote. It's called... Uh, it's a true story. It's called Willie Got Me Stoned and Took All My Money. Is that true? Yeah. And it's Willie Nelson? Yeah. <laughs> he stole your money? Yeah, well, he didn't steal it. He, he beat me in poker. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can't get stoned and play poker. Well... <laughs> I mean that's, that's that's Willie's technique. Unless you're Willie Nelson, yeah, yeah. that's incredible. Have you do you feel that way coming up? I, I I don't know much about your origin story. Did you do a lot of opening? Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. Because um, let me let's dispel sure. a rumor. Yeah. You seem like a guy. Like I feel like if I asked Valerie, my uh, fiance, if I was just like tell me the Jack Johnson story, mm-hmm. she would say you were a guy with a guitar on a beach who was so good that someone heard your record and was right, like, right. this guy's a headliner. Yeah. What really happened? Yeah, so I mean, there uh, we go. You want like the ten minute version or that two hour version? No, I mean, no, it's like it's it's like anything else. Like I loved. Um, it also let's dispel this too. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. It also was like 
the the lore of you is like he's not really a musician. He's just a guy right, right. who loves who's very good at music. But you're not like a shark. You're not like I moved to L.A. with my demo. Right. It was like he was a guy who. Again, I don't think this is true, but yeah, I remember sure. thinking that in college. I was like, he's just a chill guy who's very good at music, and people love him, and they gave him a shot. It's always been kind of a hobby, and I think I've always tried to keep it that as like a um, defense mechanism in a Beginner's way. mind. Yeah. I yeah. just tried to always keep that mentality a little bit. The, as far as the, it, you know, like the overnight success or anything, it was like tons and tons of work and playing every club across America half full. Really? And then three I'm quarters sorry. full. I, then, I knew that was true, but I'm still so happy yeah. to hear it. And oh, I want, so and I want to get like, that out there. That's yeah. one of the things maybe you like about crashing is like, yeah. it's fucking that, hard. Oh, that's the part I love about it. It's, it's like fucking every time hard. You come out there and bomb. It's just like, <laughs> there was, you know, like there was this one gig. I mean, just flashes into mind. There was a mm. time when um, my first record came out. And at the exact same time, Most Def had this project called Jack Johnson. And they both came out at the same time. No. Yeah, and then eventually he changed it to Blackjack Johnson. I don't know if that was to like differentiate the two, but that's what it started going at as. And there was one gig in Detroit where um, I was playing a spot called. I think it's called the Magic please Stick. Please tell me the story. I think it's called you're the about Magic Stick. Yeah, and it was. Um, there's one. If I'm not getting the names wrong, there's like when you when you get a little bigger, you get to play the Majestic, but otherwise you play the smaller one called the Magic Stick. And maybe I'm saying the wrong names. I forget. Mm. But I was playing the smaller one, whatever that one was. And it was a day off from opening for Ben Harper. We were playing to like sold out crowds, being the opening band for Ben Harper, and we had this day off. And so we booked a show at this little spot. And I show up and I look at the line of people standing there, and they're all waiting to come in. And I started feeling like this might be most Def's crowd, you know. <laughs> and then um, I like walked up and asked them, and they were like, "Yeah, we're definitely here to see most Def." And I was like, oh, "I'm I'm Jack Johnson too, you know. That's my name, and I'm playing here tonight." And it was like maybe. 15 to 20 people were at the show and a place could have held a couple hundred, you know? And it was really sweet. They all came in, checked it out still. But really? it was like one of those gigs where you're playing music like so much easier and people know your songs and you're playing songs yeah. that nobody's ever heard. And anyways... You could have covered black on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, to, just to mix it up. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was fun, though. Play a little black star. It was like a... It was a a really supportive crowd. That's really like, they were okay. They, I mean, they were okay with the shift. Yeah, I think some people probably got their money back and didn't come in, but some right. did, you know. And it was like uh, it was a spot where you could play pool and stuff, and there was definitely a lot of pool being played. Not right. a whole lot of listening, but it was. Um, <laughs> anyways, I had a lot of those kind of nights, like where we played to clubs that you know it felt like. Did anybody put a poster up in this town before we got wow. here or anything? I've done. A mil- I still do shows yeah. like that, <laughs> and I think you know it's like there is no shortcut. You know, I mean, I think like as quick as you get there is as quick as you might go back down like i think you know like you That's could almost so interesting you, you want a long you want a long ascension i guess as long as you want the long descension because too, you, you know? get the long descension <laughs> yeah because then maybe you get a little bit longer at the top of that bell yeah. curve too you kind of yeah i don't know you just i think you learn so much from playing to the clubs that are half empty and you and you and you also you get been, a little bit of that grit too. Yeah. like you stick with it you learn the tools too on like how to deal with that stuff you know i mean it's um what are they well i think like for one, like one of the main things I've learned is keep people who are close around you. Like the same band that played with me at those gigs is the exact same band who's on the stage with me now. So when we were playing, if we're at Glastonbury and all of a sudden we find ourselves in front of like 130,000 people, which is the biggest crowd we ever played in front of, and it was too big. It was nuts. But like it was too big, and I was like totally overwhelmed by the energy of it. And I looked over at the guys in the band, and it's those same guys that used to play with me in those half-empty clubs. Yes. You can at least look at each other, and you can like read their face of being like, it's okay, we'll get through this kind That's of right. thing. That's right. You basically just explain like why people love being married. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, let's yeah. keep someone around yeah. that you can share the experience with. Yeah. Otherwise, you, you, you'd you just be with a stranger. You'll be with, like, your, the producer gave you a new bass player. Yeah. And that guy wasn't at the Magic Stick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck is he doing here? And my wife was there. I don't know if she was at that gig, actually. She was at um, she was at grad school at that point. But my wife and I have been together since we were 18 years old. Get the fuck out. Yeah, and she watched me. She helped me write all my first songs. I mean, in the sense of she'd be in the room. Is is Brushfire Fairy Tales the first album? Yeah. So she was helping on some of those. Yeah, I mean, she she was at least like in the room. Like I literally would be um, in the dorm room when I was first trying. None of those songs ended up on that first record, but I could I would try a line. I'd look over and watch her, and if I'd kind of catch her attention, yeah, she'd turn around. Ow. I'd be like, okay, that's a good line. I'll keep when it. When I get stoned and play the piano for Valerie, I do the same yeah. thing. <laughs> like I'll improvise something that's so good, and I'll look at her and I'll be like, huh? Because we're performers. I need yeah. someone, and that's why you keep going back yeah. out on the road. No, it's true. <laughs> Is Pay it attention, somebody? <laughs> somebody needs to see it, and also it ministers to people. It, it make it makes people break. I yeah. mean, you must get that all the time. Yeah, you're the soundtrack of. You know, people. You were making it. People make banana pancakes to your movie. Yeah, your yeah music. Sure. People don't put on comedy records and I you do. know have romantic. I do. I like the- <laughs> <laughs> oh, not the romantic part, but yeah, like yeah. in the morning sometimes. You know. Oh well, I, me too. I, I don't I, put on I, night. I, I like that like, too. Once we're going to bed. Or- what was the be- so you're playing the guitar <clears throat> in the? I have two questions for you, and you can blend the answers sure. if you like. One is you're in the movies, and you think I know this is on. That was on Brushfire Fairy Tales. The everyone laughed at a joke line. Mm-hmm. Do you have a notebook on you? Are you writing that down then, or are you just trying, like I have to sometimes, very desperately to remember? Like, yeah, I do a lot of remembering. Get that line. I used to kind of think like uh, if I don't remember it, it wasn't that good. And that was before. That's so funny. That's the Mitch Hedberg joke. Oh, really? He goes. Uh, uh, sometimes I think of a joke, and I think it's really funny, unless. I don't have a pen. And then, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, he yeah. basically goes like, right. and then I realize it's not that funny. Right. He lets it go. If it's that good, it'll stick in your mind. But and and There I used, is some truth to that. That was my mentality before I had kids. And then now that I have three kids, I kind of realize, like, I got to write it down. Yeah. Because, like, there's so much other crap on my mind. That, of course. You know, that you're going to forget it. So. so back then, though, you would remember. I'm, I'm now looking, I write stuff down more than I used to. Not the whole... I mean, I'm, I'm interested in the whole story, but in the interest of time. Yeah, yeah, sure. From the dorm room, did you have a four-track where you just yeah, recording four track stuff? Yeah, four-track cassette, you know, Tascam. Um, Tascam! Yeah. I love, I I love One Tascam. of the best toys yeah. that's ever so existed. Fun. So fun. That's ever existed. Yeah. I still think, I know there's GarageBand and stuff, but there's something no, tactile it, yeah. about it. I know. You know what I mean? And the fact Even, that you got four tracks, it's really cool. And then if you want more, you got to bounce them down to one. Yes, mix them down. And you got to commit. You're like, is this the best possible yes. mix that could be going on that track? Because I'm going to record over these other yes. three. And even the hiss of the tape. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, there's that Elliot Smith, his first record, not the first, they put out like Lost Tracks, but the right. one that's called Elliot Smith yeah, yeah. is clearly recorded on a four track, yeah, I think, because yeah, yeah. you can hear the. Beautiful, yeah, I love the, the record. Tss, yeah. And then you can, it's just a guy yeah. with a snare drum and a hi hat and a guitar. He's so cool. He probably had like some kind of like a, a cooler one than we, it probably wasn't a Tascam. It was probably <laughs> some kind of retro. Like, he even went back yeah. further. Yeah. He went, met, went even no, more lo fi. Yeah. But so you start, you have your wife to be. Yeah. Who, well, we can get into that. But the three o'clock in the morning one, I mean, so yeah. So then, I mean, fast forward, I'll, I'll do it at the same time as the story. I mean, we just, we stayed together through college and then we moved in. Our, uh, our senior year together, and then I had a drum set in the living room that a friend let me borrow, and then on Valentine's Day one year, we were making a student film about these friends that went kind of, uh, one friend goes a little 
over the edge and he and he's going to drive off a cliff and they're moving from one house to another they rent a u-haul and he locks the rest of them for no apparent reason in the back of the u-haul <laughs> i didn't write it i was just the camera guy on this and he's going to drive off a cliff and they have to it was like a kind of like a weird action film and then they had to climb out and like, that's an interesting idea. it was pretty cool it came out good and they had to uh, he had to get on the roof and he was like talking sense into his friend before he drove off the cliff so anyways, we had this U-Haul rented for making that student film. It's very M&M. It, it always yeah. has someone in a trunk and really? the person's going to drive <laughs> off a bridge. It was uh, for this film festival called Real Loud. It was really cool because you'd make it and then you would have to have a live band play along with it for the soundtrack back at UCSB. And uh, so we had this U-Haul rented for the student film. And so I realized on Valentine's Day, I was like, hey, we can go pick up a piano. I saw one for 99 bucks at Salvation Army. With and the same U-Haul? With that U-Haul, because we already had it rented, you know? Here. So we did that, get and we got back here. to the house, and I'm so excited, because I'm like, killed it. It's like Valentine's Day tomorrow, and I've got this piano already. And, uh, and we could try to put it in the house, and it barely fits to the front door, and then I realized there's no wall that can actually accommodate it. <laughs> so like the only way that it worked was by putting the piano, and it like, covered half, half of this doorway. Oh my so God. for the rest of that year, we had to kind of like scooch sideways <laughs> to get around the piano just to get in our bedroom. <laughs> and so that's on a song. It's like, uh, do you remember when... Uh, it was something about the piano took up the living room. Yes. It's in one of the songs. But is but, there a better feeling than the electricity of like the, the cusp of creativity? Like you no, want to make the, something. The potential energy. And you're you young know? and you're broke yeah. and you had to use. It, it just feels very beautiful and almost metaphoric. It's like you, the providence of the U-Haul. Yeah. But then the initiative yeah. and the follow through of going, with this U-Haul, I can get a piano. Yeah. And that's the feeling of vitality. That's yeah. the feeling that I'm true. chasing yeah. is when the lightning is in you and you go, there's something I have to do. No, I agree. Right? Like you, yeah. you write that lyric on the new record about season three being the good distraction right, right, from right. reality. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, what, it, what are we distracting ourselves from? And wouldn't you say one of the answers is that, is getting a piano with your U-Haul, covering a door, uh-huh. creating something that you and your wife will always remember, and banging out songs with a borrowed drum kit. Not even, it doesn't have to be music, but making stuff, is right. that where the juice is for you? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so much, so often, like, I'll go back to... Um, like, I'll have these little folders on my, whether I do the songs on a four track or I just record them on my phone or the garage band sometimes because it's easy and you're something in a hotel room and you can just do it. Yeah. Like, whatever it is, like, I'll have these versions of the song and a lot of times they're like through the microphones just on the computer. So it kind of doesn't, the quality's not very good and like, no, I can't really put it out. But I'll have these folders that'll say, like, um, you know, LP7 roughs because it's like, that's my seventh record we just did. And so then I'll go back and listen to those. At some point, I'll notice that, and I'll be like, oh, damn, that was so much better than the version I put on the record. And that was kind of the thinking That's, on this new record. I yes. tried to make it where most of the songs, those are the first versions that I recorded. I just brought a friend in who was better with the microphones, hmm. and we went in the studio, and he would just be real patient. And as I was like noodling around with songs, and like, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to try it. I think I know the chord's good enough. And we'd try it, and I would mess up the chord. And then we'd say... Okay, let's try it again. And when I finally get it, the first time I got it where the chords are actually the right chords all the way through, there's something to that version when you're still really excited and you're still yes. giving yourself the goosebumps. You know, by yeah. playing, you're still giving yourself the shivers. Yeah. It's like there's something in that version that I wanted to try to capture because it reminded me of being in my living room with the four track. And, and you get, by the end of it, I have like chords because you're reaching over here and you want to get this guitar. Yeah. And then like the microphone cord gets around your leg. And then like at some point you'd look down and it would just be ridiculous. Yeah. It'd be like spaghetti noodles right. just like all around you and your guitar, you, you know, they're just totally tangled. Beautiful. And I would Beautiful. love that feeling, you know. Beautiful. And so yes. I just kind of wanted to get back to that a little bit. Uh, you can't go back, but 
just get back to that feeling at least. I want to tell you that when I was talking to Valerie about how I feel like you are, she actually said it, and I was already thinking it, that you feel like a, an evolved person, a conscious person. Right, I'm not saying anybody's there <laughs> yeah, yet. Yeah, sure, you sure. know what I mean? Yeah. You seem like you're on the path, and you yeah. have been for a long time. And I, start, I said, yeah, totally. And I started quoting lyrics uh-huh. of yours yes. that made me think <laughs> that you were that way. And I got the chills. Oh, that's I'm cool. very, like, music can get me. If it yeah, gets yeah. me, it really gets me. Yeah. And just saying it will make me feel like I'm going to cry. Yeah. Sometimes just seeing people singing, even yeah. if it's not a sad song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No like, if people start singing Get By With A Little Help From My Friends or something, yeah. in unison, even if it's bad, yeah. I'll start being like, ah. Well, the truth in those lyrics, you know. Yes, just, yeah, know but also mean. the agreement. Yeah. It's a group of people, you and your band and you and your guitar, agreeing, yeah. all pointed in one direction. Yeah. A comedy show can feel that way, too. Yeah. Kind of oh, beautiful. Because we're all... That's what makes a heckler so offensive. To me, and I... Because you're like, we're trying yeah. to go this way! Totally. <laughs> and I love those moments in your show where, like, somebody will yell, like, write down a joke or something. Yeah, like, yeah, And it's just, like, it stops you, you know, because it's... it's right. uh, but. There's so much, like, I really do consider uh, comedians to be the genius of our time. It's, like, one of the last areas where people are allowed to just give their honest opinion. They're celebrated to Yeah, do. I think, you know, it's just, like, it's so beautiful. And, and I re- there's that fine line between insanity and genius, you know, where right. it's, uh, you see a lot of that. Well, we don't have a lot of cultural models that allow for people to be wrong. Yeah. Comedy, comedians can be wrong. Yeah. And ugly. Yeah. If it's in the, in the name of their art. Have you run into that? Have you ever wanted to say something that like just didn't hit people the right way? Um, yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've felt okay about being able to speak my mind usually. There was one time in, uh, I think we were in Minneapolis where I found myself it was right around. It's funny because now I feel like you're allowed to sort of say whatever you want about the president. You know, it's kind of we're at a time now where it's almost irresponsible not to when you feel like this person is leading our country and leading in a really bad direction, in my opinion. You know, yeah, and, totally. and it's, you see like the EPA getting gutted and all these things, pulling out the Paris Climate Agreement. It's sort of like it'd be kind of irresponsible not to say, hey, that's not cool. No, that's why <laughs> I, I've never told a political joke in my life. Yeah, and yeah. I was a comedian during W. Bush and, yeah. I, and, and everybody, everybody has some sure. angle, yeah. even if they're a Democrat and whatever, and yeah. I'm a Democrat. Yeah. But it's like there's still something. With Trump, you had to be like, well, I guess I have to tell it. In a way, you know, I, it's like a father to, even. I feel like I got to let my kids know, hey, this is the way I feel. Well, and, that's why on this podcast, yeah. every time it comes up, it's like, please, for my future yeah, children, right. please know, fuck Fuck that guy. Yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> Fuck that guy. It's almost like you need to be on the record. It's yeah, like, I, that's you, how you I feel about this song I wrote called silent. My Mind is for Sale, you know, where it's yeah. like, I don't care for your paranoid, us against them fearful kind of walls. I don't care for it your me first, give me, give me appetite at all, you know. Yes. It's, it's, uh, it's very much so. But my to get back to it, it was like a time, remember when the Dixie Chicks, they said something about George Bush? Yes. And it was just like, oh, no. Like, you know, you're Seems anti- like you're, a different time. Unpatriotic and all stuff. Well, there was a time where it was like that same week when that was all the big news. And there was, uh, we were playing, I think it was Minneapolis, and there was somebody in the front row that had this gigantic painting they'd made of my head, and they kept holding it up, and I didn't want to have to say anything about it, because it was kind of like, I hope they never hear this, but it was, it was kind of a funny painting, you know, where it was like, I didn't really want to have to take it and show the crowd, but it was like blocking like Derek, like 10 people behind her, because it was, like if you can imagine it, it out on the other side of these microphones, it's like this person had to spread their arms out to hold it, yes, you know, it was big, yes. it wasn't just like a little painting, you know, it was like big. And I was just, I kept thinking, like, shit, she's ruining the show for everybody behind them, so I should grab this thing. Yes. So I walked over, and I grabbed it, and I was kind of like, I can't just go put it down. It's so big. Everybody's going to see me holding this thing. Oh so I was God. like, I turned it around, and as I looked at it, I was like, it just like, right before I even said it, I looked, and I was like, that's weird. It looks kind of like me, but it looks like George Bush, too. You know. And I, and I was like, I turned around, and I said, hey, this looks like uh, 
this looks like a cross between me and George Bush. Like, I mean, no offense to your painting, you know. And, and then I, and then right as I looked, there was like this little, um, this little dark spot like under the nose there, and it just slipped out of my mouth. Where I was like, oh look, it's even got the little Hitler mustache. Yeah. And then the whole crowd went ooh, and I just felt like it was the only time I've been on, I've been in front of that many people where the the audience didn't do like a cheer Isn't that... or just silence, but it was like ooh, <laughs> it was like as if they all meant to tell me like I don't think you should have said that. Yes. You know? And then I was like, oh, I didn't mean it like that. I was just calling it how I saw it. And then it sounded more like I was like backing up the point, right? I, yeah. I was calling how I see it on yeah, this picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really wasn't trying to equate George Bush to Hitler. That's so funny. But it was right as we were going into this war in Iraq. It's very it was, curb you know, your enthusiasm. Yeah. It's like, it, no, it, I'm it just was. calling it like I see it. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I, I'm just saying he's Hitler. Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept going deeper. And then I was like, I better just play music. And then I was like, all right, here's our next song. It's called Mediocre Bad Guys. And then we went into the song, and I was like, oh, even that one's like put an exclamation wow, point on it. Oh, you know? that's hilarious. But anyway. But for the most part, people love hearing what you have to say, right? I mean, I, mean, I hope so. You're not yeah, too divisive. Keep trying. No, no. <laughs> you and I are similar in that way. You know, I've always felt like there is... I just mean like I'm not divisive. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. And I, I think uh, there's a good, there's a great Woody Allen film where he, uh, there's a character, and every time they come on, it's like the narrator comes in, and, and it says, she was like an art student, and it say she knows exactly what she didn't like. And mm. that's like all it would say about that character. And, mm. and, and to me, it was like a way of saying she's young and she's still figuring out her place in this world and how she wants to approach it. Because you kind of start by sometimes by knowing what you don't like. Yes. And that's really easy to say. It's like really easy to point out in other right. artists or other things what you don't like. But to, to be able to develop what you do like and Perfect. what you do want to see in this world. Any old donkey can tear down a barn. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> that's a great, so that's a great easy. It's first half of life, second half of life stuff. Yes. And most people stay in first half, yeah. which is defining yourself by what you hate. Yeah. And that's why I have a bit about this, actually, which is like I haven't done it in ages, but it's about sarcasm. And it's like sarcasm is just one of the many services I offer. Like people love being like, oh, Jack Johnson, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's right. just so easy. It's yeah. like, what are you about? Yeah, yeah. And it's not about your age. Some people go into the second half of their life when they're 15, like really sure. interesting, yeah, yeah, artistic, yeah. beautiful people. Like go like, no, this is what I'm for yeah. and I'm going to build a barn. Yeah, so the building thing. You know I mean? Making that's, something. That's what I've felt like with, uh, with music. It's like I've never wanted to tear something down if I didn't feel like I had something to offer in place. Erect so, something new! Yeah, so, so you can't it, just yeah. tear down the church. We need some, yeah. build a new one because yeah. we need somewhere to go on Sunday. Yeah. That's right. So that's it. Yeah, I mean, it's... But that is, are you making, the, it sounds like you are, making the music you would like to hear. It seems that yeah. simple. It's like that. To a certain degree. I mean, I hear like, I think a lot of times we're defined by, you know, our... The things that, uh, what is it, like your vulnerabilities or sort of the things like you, you're trying to sing like Marvin Gaye, but you don't sound like Marvin Gaye. Right. But people end up liking your voice for what it is, you know, and it's, uh, That's funny. even though every time you hear it, you're like, every time I hear one of my records, it's not really what I'm shooting for. That's I can hear all those things that I was aiming for that I didn't get. Yeah, but the sound, your but sound is the short, sound of you yeah, striving you know, in for gay. In the end, <laughs> you're going like, for Marvin. Yeah. Like I listen to somebody <laughs> like Greg Brown and I don't know what he's shooting for, but to me, it's just like, there's nothing you could do better than to hear Greg Brown's voice singing those lyrics, you know? Yeah. And the same thing with, like, all your favorite artists. I kind of hope that as humans, they're all shooting for something even else and nobody yeah. can quite get to where they're going for, you know? Well, that's a, that's a Seinfeld thing. He goes, I, I hold the idea of comedian in my head and it's a mark that I'm always falling short of. Right. But it's good to have something bigger than yourself, yeah. even if it's capital M musician or capital mm-hmm. C comedian, going, I'm striving for that. And yeah. this is what it sounds like when I... When I watch it, someone else's... I just watched Ryan Hamilton's comedy special. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And I was like... Oh, I don't think I've ever gotten laughs like that. Right. And of course I have. Yeah, sure. But you're still watching it going like, 
uh, I don't. I think I'm a fraud, yeah. which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the. I think so. I think it's important. Uncomfortable thing. If you feel like you've gotten there, you know, if you feel like you already made your masterpiece, it's kind of all downhill from Who there. Who needs it's it? Kind of like the only reason I keep making records because I keep feeling like I, I think I'm gonna finally make a good one. That's right. And then it's like, ah, it's pretty Seven good. Seven records. I'm though, try to keep going. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Can you? Thanks. I mean. Uh, I can't believe it. Yeah, that's for sure. I can't, I can't imagine seven. that. Uh, that's incredible. I think I cracked like 100 songs or something now when I count Wow. It. Maybe. Maybe it's 80. I don't know. That's so. still a lot. Because wouldn't you agree? I feel like music is more vulnerable. Talk about people defining themselves by things that they don't like. Music is kind of like impressions. When a comedian does impressions, you mm. kind of know if it's working or right. not. Like you don't have to have a lot of taste. That's why it's called pop music. Right. It's popular sure. because yeah. everybody kind of has an opinion about it. Right. A song, you can almost smell it faster than a bad joke you can smell a bad song like i guess i don't down, know i feel like we got we got that we got at least a tool there like if i feel like uh, if i need to i can go around a few more times on the cycle on my guitar catch my breath well that's like get, you don't have that luxury as a comedian it's sort of like it's either dead space or you're telling yeah, a joke. yeah that's true you know? but you guys have like it's elevated poetry this is weird to quote why is it weird to quote Sarah McLachlan? She's lovely. Yeah. Sarah McLachlan said that her lyrics read like bad poetry, but you put them yeah. to music I've and always they felt work. That. It's the, right? It's the chord changes. It's like when you find that right chord of like going to the minor, whatever, it's, it's, uh, it accentuates that certain syllable or just in the right way. It, it fills I've never in a thought gap. of it as poetry. Like I, I can never write it down. I write some melodies. You know, like Once I get a melody in my head, yeah. then it's like certain lines, they start filling in the syllables of that, and they make sense. But I... There's been a few times where I wouldn't even call it poetry, but there's like uh, there's lines that I'll write down, and I know I want to eventually use those. Like on this new record, there's a I always had this line in my mind that it was like I pictured kind of like uh, people just barely surviving on one side. I mean, you could call them cavemen. It was like people just trying to survive. On the other side is modern day man, and so there's this line I had that was like, "Some of us need to gather. Some are going to have to kill." But with everybody so preoccupied, who's going to pay the bills? Mm. And it's sort of, uh, and then it goes on. So it's on the song called Gather on the new record. And so that was one where I kind of had that line and I was just waiting for a melody for it. Oh, interesting. Whereas usually it's the melody that I, that I have. And then, the, and then somehow I'll find myself singing one line over and over to that melody. And then that becomes kind of the question, like, what the, why, why is that line in my head? Where did it come from? Sometimes yeah. I can figure out, it's like, oh, from that book I just read or something. Other times I literally just somehow fit that melody and then that'll become the question of okay what does that mean to me and sometimes i feel like the song answers that question other times it just makes the question even harder to answer you know do you get that sort of i don't want to i'm going to start by saying i get that sort of so I, you're not mm-hmm. on the spot that sort of it's it almost it's in the realm of magic yeah where you cool. feel like your antenna's clean yeah. and a line comes through you. yeah like you're trying i say this all the time you're trying to fly the kite into the black hole and pull something back mm-hmm. out yeah, yeah. so your subconscious is there uh-huh. it's cooking and churning this conversation yeah. i'm now a part of your consciousness yeah. you you could dream about this conversation but it's going to be in the mix and it might come out as lyrics but have you gotten that feeling where you're like where the heck did that come from? Yeah, I can't explain it better than you just did, too. You really nailed it exactly. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I talk do. about it all the time. Yeah, no, you f- it feels exactly like that. And then it's funny because there's, there's a, uh, whatever you want to call it, inspired, whatever, there's these lines that for one reason or another, I can never explain like where they came from. Yes. It's like I'll wake up with a line or it's, it's just by the end of the day, I've realized I've been repeating it in my head, but it's there. And it's uh, there's probably some, you could put a simple definition of it being, uh, you know, scientific but or you could just say it's inspired whatever but there's a lot of times there's that one line and then the rest of the song is kind of work for me Mm. it's almost like the way that it felt when you're trying to write a paper for college and you keep putting it off and then i have like a i'll be in the studio and i'll realize the first verse and the the chorus are really easy to write and just all float up but now i got to sit down and go okay 
I got to work on that's this right second where, verse. That's know, right where I am all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to write a book, right? Or I guess I should just, I am writing a book. Right. I'm not trying. I yeah, am yeah, writing a book. So you get the point and you're like, mm. like sometimes I'll be writing and I, I'll literally like clap my hands and I go, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the shit right <laughs> there. Cool. And then the grind is the part before it and the part yeah. after it. Like how can I lead people to that? beach yeah. through this jungle and yeah. have them have the same feeling yeah. I had. Well, is it's it good? I keep hard. quoting my friend John Craigie, who's just a good friend. He's classic. But he, uh, he's got this great line in a song that we sing together. The song's called I Wrote Mr. Tambourine Man. It's a great story. You'll have to listen to his <laughs> version of it. But uh, there's a line that I get to sing, and I love it. It's his line, but I love singing it. It's, uh, it's And we're always closing our eyes as we sing it. It's, it's, it's never trust a musician that plays with their eyes open. All the good shit happens when they're closed. You got to give yourself the shivers before you can give them to anybody else. Oh, fuck you. Just, yes. I, I love it. Yeah, it's so good. And I can brag about it because it's not my line, but I love no, singing it. Because, I, why, I want to green light you to brag about your own stuff too, but yeah. that's a great one. You love singing it because... It just, it just feels it's that there was something I realized at one point that it was like easy to write songs. Be, well, they don't, they don't always come easily, but like there was a long time where I'd write songs and sometimes I'd play them in front of people... And I would know there was something didn't feel right about it. Mm. But like part of me would let it come out. And then eventually I realized it's as easy as this. Like if I know that it's good and it, 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 makes, it gets me excited to sing it, then I can feel confident with yeah. it. It's like such an easy point. It's hard to explain even. But it's, yeah. I think it does it better to say you got to give yourself the shivers yes. before you give them to somebody else. That's right. That's you know right. I mean? that's kinda, that was it for me. And, then, and that's why you play it too. I mean that's why you record and that's why yeah. you play it. Sometimes it does get lost in the press and the travel and even the I don't feel like playing tonight or yeah. whatever it is yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. can drag us both down. But then you kind of sometimes in a good show I remember, even though I've told this joke a million times yeah. – they haven't heard it. That's yeah. one of the things I always say before yeah. I go out is that they haven't heard it. Like yeah. you, you have to give yourself before you go out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you try and get in that. But space. have they? I mean, is it different nowadays for you with uh, with the internet and everything? Sometimes like, they have heard. Do it. people like listen ahead of time? But that's my, the, one of the goals of my career from the beginning was I was like I want to be like a musician. I want people to want me to repeat material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people get yeah. mad when musicians don't repeat. No, it's true. I mean, you got it. You know, it's like you got a song, and it's, you know, those are the ones people want to hear. You go out and play them. So it's, I'm sure it's similar to. Telling a joke that you've told before, but you know it kind of works. For and me, it's like there's truth in it. And as like, it yeah. But that's the thing. As long as you do like what I did. Now it sounds like I'm kissing my own butt, but it's like kiss it. as long. Go ahead, kiss it. As long as you acknowledge to them, I've told this joke before. Yeah, right. So what I like to do is I say, "Is there a joke you'd like to hear?" Right. Right. And right. then they usually say one of five things, yeah. and then you do it, and then if they stop laughing, because sometimes. It is a little bit like making love, and then they can tell you're thinking about something else. Yeah. You're thinking about an ex-girlfriend. Right. You have to be like, yeah, but we're thinking about her together. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> let's, I know we're shifting gears, and now you know I'm reciting something. I love that. The, the first episode <laughs> where that guy is uh, – or, or maybe – yeah, I think it's the first episode. Maybe a second episode where he comes out, and he's like, look – He's, he somehow tries to talk logic into you that you're actually making love because he's making love to your ex. Yes, that's right. That's right. Leaf tries to say that every everything's one. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Which is you that's know a beautiful scene. It is. Well, I try and to the fact that you're listening to him and trusting this guy. <laughs> you, you keep having this relationship with him where you're like you're almost buying into what he's telling you, and then you keep yeah. remembering like this is the guy who's ruined my marriage. No, but I mean not to get too heady of my own show, but I love to. He's speaking truth to me, and just like in life, it comes to you yeah, in the least expected places, yeah, place. For sure. It comes to you through pain. Yeah. I mean, 
that's it, you said your slow come up the playing mm. the half clubs the playing for the people that thought you were most deaf and you most definitely are not <laughs> is is where you learned how to play for 130,000 people and and I don't know well, I, 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 I wouldn't go that far I, I only did that once and it was like really the most awkward time you could have played for 130,000 people for one somehow they put uh, <laughs> they put Ray Davies before us and like I don't know if the person booking was so young they didn't know who Ray Davies was, but he basically came out and played like every great kink song you could play wow. right before we had to come on stage to wow. an English audience. <clears throat> and right after he played, and it was the set break, they were changing over the drums and everything. England lost in the World Cup during oh. that. Everybody went to this tent to watch their team lose, and then came back to watch us play after the Kinks. Uh, you know, after Ray Davies had wow. just killed it, like he closed with uh, "You Really Got what Me Going." What a nightmare! And so, <laughs> We didn't we didn't slay it that night. One of my like you know, it was like definitely felt awkward. So I just oh. wanted to go back. We don't play to 130,000 yes. people very often. That wasn't necessarily <laughs> just like me at, at Radio City. It was a great honor. Yeah, exactly. But when I got off stage, I, I was like, that's all it. Yeah. That's all it was. Even yeah. while I was doing it, I was like, I didn't mean I to cut always, off your flow. No, please. <laughs> you know what I mean, though. The ro- the good shows, not yeah. the 130. That sounds yeah, yeah, sure. horrible. Yeah. But the good ones, you tend to learn a little bit less. Yeah. No, you know what I mean. Sure. You're trying to take everything. You know, it's funny. I've just been realizing from listening to a lot of comedians talk about the process. It sounds like. Uh, and you tell me if this is correct. You guys kind of you'll you'll work your show for a while, and then you decide you're doing your special. So it's kind of like you're going to finally do your your taping or whatever. Yeah. In a, and it's by the time you get there, you don't really want to be learning anything anymore. You kind of want to have learned it all right on the road. And, and then the game it. becomes: Can I do it as if I'm still working it out? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean? right, right. And They're for me, raw the trick to... is to do it in a different order, mm. or to yeah. try and mix up. Even if you know you're going to edit it out in between two jokes. Do some bullshit, yeah. Just to keep yourself in sure. it. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you are just painting by numbers. Yeah. A lot of times, the thing that I think can leave me cold with comedy is when you start to feel that they're not there. Yeah. And that can yeah. happen with music sure. as well. It's just like this guy's just. It's what Birbiglia says. I just did the album. Yeah. Like he just played it through. Yeah. And you left. You know, it's, you it, didn't listen for one moment as to what they wanted. Yeah. No, it's so true. It's. I mean, it makes me think of the. Because kind of going back to like jumping back in time a little bit to when it first started, I was really lucky where I had um, my friend Emmett that was that you kicked out of here before we started. Yeah, get out of here. I Emmett. see him down there looking at comics right now. <laughs> he, uh, he's happy. But no, he's great. And so <laughs> him and I have been friends since we were making surf films. I used to be the camera guy on surf films and we used to make these. He was the editor. And um, This is pre-GoPro. This is pre-GoPro. It, it, it was all 16 millimeter. It was out of film school. We were like film nerds who were like, no, we can do it all What's on it 16. in a bag or something? 16 millimeter. How do you keep it from getting wet? But you have these water housings, they're called, oh, where it like okay. seals in. You got to keep the silicon grease so it doesn't, they don't crack and everything, wow. all the seals. and Yeah, and you'd even put like tampons sometimes on the inside of the water housing in case any moisture got in, it would soak that up. Really? Yeah, that was the trick I learned. Wow. And um, so then... Yeah, where was I going? Oh, so anyways, like Emmett and his family, he has a huge family in L.A., so I would come down and play this spot called The Mint, and he would just bring his whole family, and it would fill the place up. And they wouldn't listen to anything I was saying. They'd just all be drinking beers and catching up with each other, but the people at the place were like, wow, you filled it up, you know? Right. And you could and you could go on, uh, and they would give you like a better night that way, and you'd kind of keep growing from there. And I've digressed so far show. that I forgot what was I going Oh, so I remember, though, anyways, like being at these places... And I would be so excited that if anybody would show up, and some of them, especially once we got out of Southern California, you know, where we didn't know as many people. But then when you actually had a full room, no matter what size it was, if it was a coffee shop or a record store that you got to play an in-store, and when people would show up, I mean, I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, I would just be so thankful those people were there. You know, you, tr- you know the feeling. You travel all the way somewhere, and you wake up, and you like, wonder if anybody's going to come. And yeah. then when those people would come, I was playing 
100% to those people in that room every time. And I never really dreamed bigger. Like, to me, I was like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, getting to share my songs with this group of people. And I met a few people along the way. I don't remember their names, and I think that's kind of the point. Is like, I can remember people saying, like, oh, I hate this club. I'm so sick of this club. I can't wait to play the El Rey, you know, or whatever. They were always thinking about that next room up. And I, I just remember at that time thinking, like, that seems like a weird idea. Yes. It's like to already be dreaming bigger Buddy. than this. When Buddy. this is, like, this is Buddy. the magic, you know what I mean? Like, going back to those half-full rooms, like, Buddy. wouldn't change anything. It was so fun to be in the van with my friends, drinking too much coffee, talking yes. about the next gig, how we're going to make it different, this and that, sharing. Yes. You know, we'd take turns on the rollaway every night in the same room. Yes. And it was, like, those are the best times. I mean, it's but to have those same guys in the band now, it's fun. We got, got our own hotel rooms finally and all that stuff. <laughs> and I wouldn't change that. Like, I don't want to sleep with those guys anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I would never go back and change like those the are the purity times, of you know, intent. And it's, and it's like playing to those people in that room with all your energy that night. You but know? this is what I can't say enough. That's why I'm happy to repeat it. I actually wrote it down because I was hoping we would get to it. It wasn't to get laid. It wasn't to be famous and it wasn't to be rich. It's what you wanted to do. It was in you. It was written on your bones to do. And yeah. you were lucky enough and we're both lucky enough to figure out what it was that made us feel that type of fulfillment. Yeah. And it was not – I remember when I take my half hour, there was a guy there – that I knew and I was like, are you going to do that bit? Because I knew one of his bits. I was like, are you going to do that bit, that amazing bit? And he's like, no, I'm going to save it for my hour. And this is before we all had hours. Yeah, Typically, yeah, yeah. like you did a half hour, oh, right. maybe a year later, if you're lucky, yeah, you, you do an hour. You got. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to give it, leave it all out there. There's yeah. no like, what? Do we, it's those people. It's this half hour now. Yeah. And a year later, by the time I did, I think I did my hour over, well over a year later, right. I wasn't doing any of the same jokes. They right, were all gone. Right, new experiences. You leave it all out yeah. there. Yeah. I did it all. I think yeah. my, my half hour taping, I went long, not not like horribly long, but because I was trying to like really play to that in-store yeah. Audience. There's a lot to that too. I mean, I know guys that have been making their first record for ten years. You know, it's like um, it's really easy to be shooting for that perfection we were talking about earlier, and thinking yeah. somehow you're going to get there on that group of songs. And I think it has something to do with being on the seventh record. Is like every time I've got to the end, and it's your due date, you know, and you're kind of like, well, there it is, and you kind of <laughs> feel like I could go back and redo all these better. I know it, yes. you know, and I still hate that part, and I still think this one sucks, and whatever. You turn it in, and you kind of it gives you that motivation to have those new experiences, new jokes yeah, for you guys. It's like yeah. new songs for me. It's um, and I think it's important just to keep moving forward. You know? I forgot who said it, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's like, and it might not even be this, but it's the sentiment. It's like art is never finished; it's only abandoned. Right? Yeah, I, yeah, I just yeah. think that's perfect. That's it's perfect, like, and that's why we have those. I'm learning so much from you today. I love all your lines. I'm gonna start. Wish I had a pen to write these down. Well, we're recording it. No, good. I'm gonna gonna listen back. You can. That's one of the things that I always think is when I'm an old man, I can listen back to what it was like when I was 36, 35. I forget when I started. I knew we'd connect just from watching the show, like in binging on last night. Sorry, I'm tired. I just stayed up too late watching it. I just kept one of the next episode. And uh, but anyways, there's something about your character even that that. They connected with me, where it's oh, sort of this innocence and kind of like... But you, I think what people relate to about Pete, I call him Pete, even mm-hmm. though it's me. Yeah. It's obnoxious, but I work so hard on the show, you have to just go, Pete. Yeah. You're editing it. You go, Is there one where Pete does this? It's too weird to say. Is yeah. there one where I do this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I think what people relate to about Pete is that he just wants to do it to do it. Yeah. And you actually run into more comedians like that than non-comedians. Right. But to your point, the guy's in my world, that were complaining about the size of the venue mm. 
or even some of the guys I knew that just were like, I just can't wait to be famous, or I can't wait to yeah, yeah, yeah. be rich. The None fame of them thing are is doing interesting. it yeah. anymore. The <laughs> They're fa- not doing yeah. it. No, it's, it's true. Over. There's, a, there's a mixture between that, too, because I had this, like, this point where um, my friend J.P. Plunier, who produced the first record I did, and the first label I was on, it was this really cool little independent label. Uh, they're called Everloving now, but they were Enjoy Records at the time. I think they got sued for the name back then. But that was the first label I was on, and, and he really helped guide us through it. And there was like this point where I was kind of trying to play this role of in between. Like It's like I was excited to have a record, but some every step I'd be like, I'm not sure I want to take that step yet. It was like that fear of going to that next room or that fear of kind of whatever it was, like getting played on that radio station that wasn't just like a... Uh, you know KCRW type of station if it was like you got to go in there and if you show up and play live on the air they'll play your song mm. that all these things were like is that selling out is this, you know it was like kind of these choices along the way and, and <laughs> you would just be like it seems like you just need to take a day and kind of think about it because like what you're trying to do right now is make your music more popular and if you don't want to make it more popular that's fine but you need to kind of choose because it seems you're a little confused yeah and I was and I still am you know it's like <laughs> I think it's good to always be confused do you want that next step you well, know that's, it's like yep. how commercial do you want to go with it yep. and it's always been a it's always something you have to consider we but, need to have that yeah. blend I think go on I was just going to say you know at some at some point you do have to kind of admit to yourself you, you are trying to grow it if you are you know because it's um, and I don't know fame is an interesting thing it's like uh it's nice, like you were pointing out earlier, it's like sometimes somebody will come up and they'll share a story with me about something the song did for their family when they lost a loved, a loved one. Or, yeah. you know, I've talked to people, who've, the songs have really gotten them through some hard times. And to know the music has done that for people, it's like, that part of the fame, I'm okay with, you know? Yeah. And there's other times where it feels really shallow and I question, like, the place I'm at. Uh, but I know what music has done for me, other people's music. Right. And those times it's gotten me through and how much, like when I hear certain songs, I have to almost turn them off because they mean too much to me. Oh, yeah. Well, you mentioned Ben Harper earlier. Yeah. And the song, you know his song, Please Bleed? Oh, yeah. Jesus, yeah. Lord. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was my divorce song. Oh, that, really? Wow. That helped Maybe. me yeah. cry because yeah. I was trying to cry. Yeah. You know when your emotions are blocked? Yeah. And he makes a sound in the live record yeah. where it just sounds like he's crying yeah, or screaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And every time um, it... I can't listen to it. Like yeah. I, in the good way. Yeah, I love it. No, but I, I can't listen yeah. to it. Yeah. But so I mean, that part of the fame has to be. Yeah, his music is just so <laughs> such a big part of my life because I was a mega mega fan. I mean, I can't even tell you. I was like a college student. It was like going to his shows, and then I'd be singing the words, and my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, she'd have to elbow me like, "Shh, mm. you're like you're singing too loud," kind of thing. You know, <laughs> like I knew everyone. I was so influenced by his music that I got to this place where all of a sudden uh, the guy J.P. Plunier who produced the first record I was talking about he, he actually produced Ben's records and so when somehow actually Emmett was the one that handed me uh, handed J.P. my little cassette tape this is back before it was even CDs it was like mm. it was easier just to make it you know a copy off is the this your four track yeah and uh, <laughs> anyways it got into their hands and then when I when I heard that he maybe had heard my music and I assume maybe he'd put it on whatever but then I got to meet Ben and it was backstage at a show and he came walking up behind me and he started singing the, one of the lyrics and I turned around and it was Ben Harper of your song yeah and it was like he, his music had meant more to me than just about anybody in the world and so to know that he had actually listened to it you know yeah. it was like I was wanting to cry and then anyways we've, uh, our friendship has developed over the years he's been like a big brother to me in a lot of ways because he kind of took me on the road Yeah, and just watching how he was too with, with his fans and like 
he would break down that barrier of like being up on this pedestal. He would just have conversations with people out back. And mm. anyways, I learned so much from traveling with him for months. But that paying person. it forward to the next guy. Yeah, that's that's yeah. where you're at. You know, the, and that's where yeah. I'm at. You you get the the opener, and it is. Not, it's it not is. a mentor. It's just somebody that you can go like, let's just relax. Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> it's true, and it's nice. You know, you get to hear music that really it touches you, and you're able to kind of like shine some of your light onto that. It's a really cool thing. Speaking of fame, in a in a less direct way. I'm interested because, selfishly, I'm doing my second season, which is like my second album. It's mm, my sophomore yeah. album. And we're trying to avoid some of the pitfalls of the second sure. album, yeah. which is cla- it's like the sophomore you slump. You hear people talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Was On and On your second record? That was my slump. It was your slump? Yeah. Because I love On and On. Oh, thanks. No, no, I did it. I just mean if there had to be one, that was my sophomore one. <laughs> for sure. And I think, yeah, I don't but know. But was it in your head more? I mean, you go from a four track, yeah. slipping it to a guy, yeah. and then you get a record, and it's very exciting. Yeah. It's a cliche that it takes 10 years to make your first album, and yeah. then it takes like 10 months to make your it's, second one. It's a cliche, but truth is, you know, right? it's, like, yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. Um, and then. And then you start thinking a lot about of what the, other people are going to think. The first half of On and On for me were the songs that didn't make it on to Brush Fire. Like I already had some that were on there. That's what a, com- that's yeah. what a comic does. Yeah. And, and then you, when you start workshopping, you do. I have bits that have been the bits that get cut from three specials yeah, now. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like they'll never get recorded. Do they end up ever being the great ones for you though? Or are they always just kind of Once like or twice they, they come back. Yeah. They come back. But they're, yeah. they're the ones that you know. They're like the base that you yeah. cook the soup in. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and so, on, I mean, it was... So the first one for me, and I'm sure this is the case for a lot of people, is you never dream as many people will hear it as they did. So there's a lot of, um, you can let things go really easy. It was, I was going from that step of all of my friends kind of digging on it and passing it to their friends to thinking like maybe it'll grow a little bigger than that and I'll get a small fan base. So that first record kind of, you know, as much as we were talking about the, the little clubs and all that, it was like this, this thing that, all, you know, I was looking back, it was so much luck involved of it just kind of kept growing and I kept being in the right place at the right time. And yeah. You know, I think it was also something about like when I would meet, when I get to spend the day with somebody from the record label in that town, they drive me around to the radio stations. I would just really hit it off with those people. Like I would, I didn't ever have this thing. I was lucky to never have this thing of kind of thinking of like industry and artists as being like this separate thing. To me, it was just like a bunch of people out there working. Mm. And I'd meet these people and they're usually like, I'd get assigned to the young person who just started working at the label or whatever. And they're always really cool. So we just have a fun day. And I think a lot of it has to do with that is just like connecting with people and then you have a fun day hanging out, you go get lunch and, you know, visit some radio stations. And afterwards, you have this friendship and those people really want to work for you. You know, they want to help you take that right. next step. I always felt like that helped a lot. Well, also just, because they smelled, uh, smelled, they sensed. Hopefully not. not smelled, <laughs> they sensed yeah. what we're talking about, which is the purity of your intent. Yeah. Why so, yeah. are you making music? And so, yeah. Um, and when and people are drawn to conviction, conviction such a unsexy word for a sexy thing for like right. something that's like pure yeah, yeah and they go i'm with this guy yeah and he's not an asshole yeah <laughs> and he's not just trying to get a, a briefcase of cocaine yeah. he's no. trying to get his music out there yeah. i forget where i was going with it i just i oh, that, i thought you i thought you made that point beautifully yeah. it, it, well you're saying the the we're talking a little bit about the beginning stages working with the young guy and we're talking about the sophomore record oh the sophomore slow yeah, yeah so yeah. that was it i think it was um it was that first record there was kind of it grew to a place i never dreamed it was as much as i had to do the hard work it kept growing right and it was really wild where it went from being i remember i remember being in new york um at about to go on stage and then somebody from the record label because new york a lot of label people come and they told me they said hey your record just went gold which means five hundred thousand copies sold and i remember i honestly didn't even know i remember somebody had said like shortly before that it had been like a hundred thousand 
So at some point, even though all that, there was all the hard work and playing little clubs, it did kind of this exponential graph all of a sudden on the right. end of that first record, right? where it started going pretty quick for us. And um, What year was that? That was 2001. I wonder... And 2002, by the time it started kind of growing. I, I wonder if we could all have used a little relax at yeah. that time. You know, it, <laughs> yeah, well, sure. it was a tense time. Yeah, sure, no, it's true. And, and I think we wanted to Yeah, be... that plays into it, too. Like, what, you know, what are well, people waiting for? Yeah. yeah, the zeitgeist, which is something I'm not really comfortable... I, I don't think either of us can try to understand <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, sure. But when I look back, I'm like, oh, my comedy kind of struck a chord at a time when it was that's, very popular yeah. to be positive. That's where the luck comes in sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's like if, if what you're offering resonates with people. Yeah. You know, I meet so many, so many artists, so many of my friends, different people that I believe 100% in what they're doing. And it's, and it's just somehow it doesn't connect sometimes. And it, it has to do with that sometimes. If right. Those, those lucky moments. But it I needs think to line up. It got to this point, though, where uh, just to finally get to the point of the sophomore slump is like, yeah. I think by the time I, that was the hardest record for me to put out was the second one for sure because mm-hmm. it was like, whoa, I have way more fans than I ever dreamed I would and now I got to give them new ideas and right. will they still believe in this or is this just a moment? I kind of always expected that, I think I had a healthy thing of going, this is kind of crazy what happened here and I should just brace myself this next one might do nothing you know right and um, what did it oh, yeah. yeah no i mean i it, don't know what it, it did i bought it yeah thanks <laughs> <laughs> and you covered you, know, uh, all right. you, you know, covered your own song on yeah. it you did um what's it called oh rodeo clowns rodeo yeah, clowns. yeah i covered that's right we did you on g love special clowns. sauce and i used first. to love that g love song cool. and yeah. then i found out you wrote it and, and that contributed to that why i became a fan yeah garrett was amazing for me too he was such a uh, strong supporter through the whole thing yes he would always just... but yeah the, the second record was interesting because it didn't do commercially or whatever you'd say like as well in the united states but that was the first one to start breaking everywhere else because the first record we only toured the states uh-huh. and then we might have went to australia once in new zealand and then after that on and on was the one that started growing so it's funny we go to other places and they want to hear songs, songs off of that them. record are still bigger than the first record for us right? you know? but so that What's was the big closing what do you close on oh better together usually uh-huh. um that song better together sure a lot um the end of the night, and you know, we'll close with that. Kind of close like a first set sometimes. It's always fun to do that thing where you walk off stage. Yeah, the then, fake encore. Yeah. It's, I uh, mean, it's a real encore, but. Yes and no. I mean, it's kind of like. <laughs> it's theater. I've also done shows where you only have a certain amount of time. So you don't. And then you don't, and then you get to the end, and then people keep chanting because they want you to come back, and it's right. almost like, wait, he didn't give us the. Extra well, I've deal. seen bands that go, we're not going to do the fake thing. Yeah, we're just yeah. going to keep playing if that's okay. I usually kind of make a joke out of it, come back and say, I was just kidding. Like, <laughs> you guys know I was coming back. Come on. <laughs> I just course. need to take a leak. Or I just something. think it's weird that even like the Rolling Stones go backstage and what, have a cigarette? I yeah, don't know what they're nice doing. Yeah, it is nice to have a moment, actually, because what we do is we come off, and the band goes over, and we hang out for a minute. And yeah. it's like we get the chill and just talk about the show, and like, oh man, that chord you you hit there, or whatever. Or like, yeah. I can't believe you stood on top of your piano and like <laughs> you almost ate it. And like, we have a minute to just like take a breath in and have a little laugh, and then the tone of the show shifts. It's kind of hard to go from like we usually close that first set with like a, a big, when I say big, it's like yeah. you know big for us. We're a pretty yeah. small band, but like a more upbeat one. And then we'll bring it all the way down. We'll walk back out and um, for sure. I'll just do. I'll you start get to doing, start again. Yeah, I'll do songs like I mean, I'll, I'll start <coughs> improvising a little more. It's like come you back can't out. follow yourself. Yeah, and you can take it without a break. Now. Yeah, yeah, it's true. yeah. And yeah. you can just do a whole different thing. And it kind of so if anything, it just gives you a moment where like all your friend, the tech guys, can like switch out some of the mics and different things for that ne- next part of the show. Right, right, and right. You don't right. have to stand there while they're kind of like running around doing that. I love it. Well, we, you, you're out at 12.30, right? We always talk about the meaning of life, so we want to spend some yeah, yeah, time sure, on sure, that. Yeah, of course. You know, it's so funny. Like, you're on the new record. You have that, the first track. talks about the light above the sun. Yeah. And to me, you know, there's the light shining onto the earth. Mm-hmm. But then there's, the, there's also light going yeah, impartially yeah. the other way. Yeah. 
the same amount of light. Yeah, exactly. And either, even that is such a trippy kind of zoomed out, literally, yeah. zoomed out perspective. And when I, when I hear you writing against some of the, the delusions, the, the mass hypnosis that we're, mm-hmm. we're all under, sure. if it's um, like your new song about uh, the paranoia and the me, me, me right, mentality, right, right. Yeah. or what I referenced earlier uh, about consumerism. Yeah, sure. Or even even the thing about um, yeah, I like your shirt, no logo. Exactly, like, no hey, logo, right, bro. Yeah. No Got logo, <laughs> bro. But the, the, I just see a lot of like. There's the song, the news, the song, the yeah, news, yeah, where you yeah. say like, why don't newscasters cry when they yeah. read the news? That's a very open-hearted thing. Yeah, I feel I listen to that line sometimes. It always cracks me up. I mean, it's like I still kind of like it, but it's like a very young person. It's thing a young to, thing to you say. Know, it's like. Yeah, I, like, I, I understand. Every, I try to be kind of true where I'm at in life during that time when I write that record. Well, you can only be true, you know. You try. And so I listen back to those first songs, and I feel happy that I can still, like, as a person, get into those. But a lot of times, like, certain lyrics, you know, will just, I'll kind of think, like, oh, such a 20, Buddy, 22-year-old version But here's of what's funny is when I heard that, I was 20. Right. So I was also feeling yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have the line, uh, there were so many fewer questions when stars were just the holes to heaven. Yeah, yeah. And I always think about that. Yeah. But now we're... You're 42. I'm 38. Yeah. Stars aren't the holes to heaven. Yeah. There's a light going backwards. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, past, I mean, right past us. That's a nut. Yeah. There's light that goes past the earth. Yeah. There's light that goes the other way. There's light that goes up. There is no up. There yeah. is no down. Sure. We're floating in space. Yeah. What is it all about? We can talk about the yeah. delusions. That I love that. In. I love. I love the the macrocosm of just pulling out and. Um, I love Joseph Campbell a lot. Yeah! Yeah? You like Joseph? <laughs> I have a framed photo of Joey Campbell oh, on nice. my wall. I was reading The Power of Myth this morning. No way. Because oh. one of the things in my book is about how Joseph Campbell changed my life. Oh, really? That makes me so happy. Yeah. You ever watch the Bill Moyer? That's thing? how I found him. To, I mean, to me, it's like I like reading his stuff, but it, sometimes I'll find myself reading the same paragraph like over 10 and over times and over. in a row. That's me so with dense, The Hero with a know? Thousand Faces. Yeah, totally. I'll read one page a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I read, there's a that transcript of The Power of Myth, oh, I'll get which get has that. stuff that... It's, so it's conversational. Yeah, because I like his conversational stuff. Anytime I can hear him just speaking. Sometimes but his writing is pretty dense, but I love it. The writing is so dense, but yeah. the book, The Power of Myth, is the transcript of the conversation yeah. that The Power of Myth TV show was based on. There's another so great more one. Stuff um, in it. The, the, oh, something like, um, it's, oh, it's, it's um, the hero. It's, it has the hero in it as well but it's more conversations just oh, really? written down it's um I forget the name of it right now but, but there's it, another one that's that's more of it's a, transcripts of, of of him conversational but even that yeah. even that you read two pages and yeah. you go Jesus yeah. this guy just like cut into our basic psychology yeah. I'm kind of a Campbellist you know like I've had to be something I've never heard that <laughs> Campbellist not a cannibal were you raised no. how were you raised religiously speaking not you know Nothing? pretty free no it was like uh it was kind of sweet because there was one time, and I can remember where I was. <laughs> My mom always laughs at this story. I don't know if she loves it or hates it, but uh, we were riding bikes on this bike path near our house, and I can remember where I was, and it wouldn't matter if I tried to describe it. It's just mm. basically this little spot, like right where cars can turn in next to our road. And I had this, uh, I asked my mom, I remember we were stopped waiting for a car to turn. It was such a profound moment for me because I said to my mom, I was like, Mom, what is God? Because I like, think I'd heard about it. I don't know how old sure. I was. I'm pretty bad at trying to frame that stuff. But I was an elementary school kid. And I said, Mom, what is God? And she said, well, and she had a beautiful answer. I just misheard it. She said, God is a being. It's just, it's not a human being. And then I was like, I thought she said God is a bean. <sighs> like, you know, like a kidney bean. Or like, oh. and so like for the rest of my childhood i picture god being like mr potato head shaped oh like a big God. kidney bean yes 
You know, because even then I didn't know like a human being. I thought it was yeah. human being. Of course, human beings. So I didn't know why that was. But anyway, so like I always pictured God just being this like gigantic being. But okay. this, you know, what that reminds me of? Did you see the George Harrison documentary, the one that Martin Scorsese? Made? I haven't seen the whole thing. I, I love, it's very, very I love long. Music. Yeah. But there, there's a great part where George Harrison goes like, "When I was raised, I can't do the voice." Yeah. He was like, uh, <laughs> I, could try. "I could try. It's so fun to do." <laughs> that Paul, that's Paul McCartney. Yeah, yeah. that's McCartney. I can't do any of them. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Shit a shitter. Just give me. Just give me the line. <laughs> he goes, "You're raised believing God's a man in the sky, right. and then later you realize he's everything, including a man in the yeah, sky. Sure. If that's how you want to think of him. Yeah. So it's funny that you're thinking of him as a being. Yeah. He and can't now be, he my, is a being. my understanding yeah. of consciousness being something that permeates all things. Sure. I think God is in a being as well. Sure. I mean, you I mean look at like you cut that thing open and get a microscope out. Absolutely. How deep are we going yeah. into that bean? Yeah. There's a lot of magic. I mean, all you can beans go forever are magic. In any direction you want. So it's like, uh, but anyway, so like that was kind of you like. You can go forever in any direction you want. Yeah. And you just threw that away. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You can go forever in any yeah. direction you want. It's Straight true. Around. And so, yeah. So, I mean, that was kind of my, that was my religious conversation. That was the one that I remember. And then. Yes. It was like, it went for a long time where, um, I don't know if I thought too much about it, you know. And then, yeah, I think I kind of shaped it. Just over the years, it was just different experiences. My parents kind of always let us. My dad would talk about it if I wanted to as I got older, and he would share what he thought. Um, he kind of always had. He, he he was raised Catholic, and he kind of had this one experience. He was like one of those funny guys where he'd tell you things, and then it was always he would leave things a little ambiguous. And so, like, he sailed to Hawaii when he was twenty years old. Like he's, and then he's the kind of guy who, like, most people would do that. They'd write a book about it or something, and he just kind of like. He'll share a few stories, but he's 20 years old on a boat by himself, sailed to Hawaii. And he, the only thing he'll tell you about it is, yeah, that's kind of how I learned how to sail. And, uh, and he just leaves it there. Like, he doesn't have to brag about it or anything, you know. And so, same he thing. He just did it's it. Like, he tells me this one story about it. He's like, yeah, I, was, I used to be Catholic. And then this one day I was in church, and I was a senior in high school. And all of a sudden, everybody started kind of like gathering by the door. And uh, we, I ran over to look, too, and my car was on fire. And then I... So then the police came and they put me in the back of the police car to like ask me some questions and stuff. And then everybody from the church like went by like waving their finger at him and like mad at him because he was in the back of this police car. And he kind of just realized right there what he kind of thought was this community. He just didn't feel part of it anymore, you know? Oh, interesting. And um, you can't stand by me through a random yeah. car fire. And he was like, what are I, you know, maybe I left a cigarette. And oh, he always claimed, I was like, did you smoke at the time? Do you think you left a cigarette lit like in the car? And he's like, no, I wouldn't have done that. But um, but he did smoke, you know, so he probably did. And so, anyways, not that that's worth like getting your finger waved. Yeah, at, you for know, sure. And it's a mistake. No, uh, I understand. I had a similar thing at my church. My pastor had an affair, mm-hmm. and like a third, maybe half of the church left. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I thought, you know what right, I mean? Right, right. I get it. It's yeah. a leadership position. Sure. If you want to be like our leaders, have to be better people or whatever. Right, but right. I was like, I thought the whole jam here yeah. was forgiveness. Yeah, sure. But it turned out just to be another thing to buy yeah <laughs> another, yeah. another yeah. thing to belong yeah. to like a sports team yeah uh so your dad walked away after his car blew up yeah i mean that's the, the most i kind I'm of i'm so glad it wasn't that he was like and god couldn't protect my car while i was in jerk yeah, i was no, like no. that's boring your dad sounds more interesting than that <laughs> no he is it's, so he uh, was pretty groovy yeah he was he moved to hawaii when he was 20 years old he raised us over there um it's amazing he kind of would always watch from afar you know he would he was a good dad and he'd make sure we we're safe but he kind of would let us uh pretty free free range with our thoughts and pretty like as far as like growing up surfing and being out in big surf alone he'd be close enough that he could kind of watch out for us but he would let us make uh choices that were 
you know, fall fall a little bit on your own sometimes and learn how to get back up. Well, there's something kind of beautiful, metaphorically speaking, about the ocean. You yeah. know, when you put a kid in the ocean, I was an ocean kid. Yeah. You can't fully parent in the ocean. No, there's not too at all. much happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's too <laughs> mysterious. It's too big. It'll fuck it your dad up. Yeah. Like it'll it'll fuck yeah. both of you up. Oh yeah. But you put a kid in the ocean. There's something kind of symbolic and ancient about that. Well, there's the baptism and everything. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Water is this mysterious, but it it's can the, kill you and it can keep you alive. Yeah. The Carl <laughs> Jung is like the the oceanic experience. You know, of like the realization that all things are connected and. Right. Well, yeah, when, so, whenever I'm trying to think of that, I'm like, we're like waves. That's yeah. I probably mentioned that every third episode of this podcast, yeah. where it's like our lives are like waves. We're part of everything, but we're experiencing it going like, I'm a wave. Yeah. And everything is a wave. Yeah. And that's why surfing is beautiful. It's one of those ways to interact with a wave when sound is a wave, yeah, light sure. is a particle in a wave, obviously. But there's waves in all things. And I, I heard a surfer say in a documentary, he goes, Ocean waves are the only waves that you can directly play with. Right. And there's something very natural about them. Yeah, that's true. Sound waves, I guess you can kind of play with them too. Yeah, that's way. true. Yeah. But you can't see them. No, cannot. <laughs> but where are you at now? I mean... I mean, now I'm very open-minded. I just kind of... I, I think you, you said Why did nice. Campbell appeal... Sorry yeah, to the, interrupt. Campbell appealed to me because I was trying to reconcile a mythology I was raised with yeah. as, as literally true. Yeah. And then I found him and he said... He rescued those stories from me. Well, I, yeah, go on. And, but if you weren't raised by yeah. with those, you didn't have that burden. So why were I, you? I think what appealed to me about Campbell is that he wasn't trying to prove anybody wrong. He was trying to prove everybody right. Yeah. You know, in a way, I think he, he even a. said at one time he was like, difference between like most like an he's like I'm not an anthropologist because like what they're trying to do is show the difference in in different people around the world. I'm trying to show the similarities. Yeah. You know, like how when people have a certain metaphor that's important to them. How does that metaphor link? Like how are these stories right. are all the same? You know, he's so, inclusive. So he's really trying to connect all people well, by showing the differences yeah. and like how those differences connect. And that's what I loved about Joseph Campbell. And he said something really powerful about about metaphors. He was like, "Have you ever heard this story where he goes on a he goes on a the radio show?" Yeah, I love that one. I this is in my book. Yeah, oh cool. I, I retell it in the book. It's Good. his story, but I go, that's "This that's blew my mind." Yeah. Well, please, you tell it because well, I've it's heard just, it. It's great, you know. He, he goes on there with good intentions, and this kid starts kind of like tearing straight into him right off the bat. He's like, you say God is a metaphor, so you're saying God is a lie. And he's like, no, God's not a lie. I'm saying God's a metaphor. A metaphor is like a really powerful thing, you know? And he's like, well, he's like, you know, you can't say God is a metaphor, and it's true, you know? And he's like, listen, it sounds to me, he starts getting a little annoyed, and I love the way he tells it. He's such a kind he person. He tries to let it he's go. Like, he's, like, he's like, I felt really bad about what I did next, but he, this kid was being relentless. So he's like, he's like, look, kid, he's like, tell me, give me a metaphor. And yeah. the kid's like, I'm not going to, he's like, just give me like your example metaphor. And he's like, the boy runs fast like a deer. And he's like, that's an analogy. Yeah. He's like, it's, it's not like a deer. The boy, the boy is the deer. Yeah. That's a metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, God is this right. to different people. So it's like, the metaphor can be as yeah. powerful as you want it to yeah. be. So, yeah. so whatever God is to you, that's what it is to you. But you, totally. Because it was something that was beyond language. We yeah. needed something better than language to even touch it. Mm-hmm. So metaphor is the only way yeah. we can talk about God. Yeah. Uh, we can talk about love and yeah. all these different things. Because I love all the stories of different religions. I love read, you know, I like reading all that stuff. And it's, and it's there's, you know, like the stories of Christ, like we were talking before. It's like, I always tell my kids, like, these are some of the most beautiful stories. You should know them all, you know. It's yeah. like, these are like stories to learn by. And it's, it's really important. And like, they'll ask me, was it a real person? And I say, yeah. And it's. I, try, I want them to be able to to learn and about other religions too, and and figure out whatever they want. But I always, I never try to ever tear any religion down or, or say it's not true. Well, it's that, true that's to a camel people, thing. You know? He goes, every religion is true yeah. in its own metaphorical yeah. way, and then he talks about 
talk about the the blend between literally true and metaphorically true. Sometimes you see Campbell tiptoeing into it because he'll say, you know, the scriptures say that Jesus ascended into heaven. Right. And, he, and that means he went up into the sky. Right. And he goes, but we know with science that there is no place, ha- like you can't get there. Like right. he kind of breaks yeah, down yeah, that sure. like, even if he took off into the sky, I don't know if he's literally going to a place. In fact, he would right. say, you're not literally going to a place. But he's touching a place mm-hmm. that Jesus did. Right. And that's how we tell the story. Yeah. So Jesus did touch that infinite place in reality. And he kind of found a way to merge with truth yeah. in a way that we can't even understand. And the way we try to understand it yeah. is saying he died and went up into the clouds. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like both. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's when I get excited is whenever I catch Campbell yeah. dabbling, catch, yeah. dabbling in literalism. Sure. What was true? Yes, there was yeah, a historical yeah, sure. Jesus. And there are people that tend, that, try, that do find ways to become truth. Yeah. And that's very intoxicating yeah. to us. Then we write these stories and these metaphors to help us understand. Yeah, no, I like it. I mean, somebody else explained to me, it's like, it's all part of the same wheel and each of the spokes is like a different way to get to God. Yes. You know, it's right in the center of it. Right. You ever you ever check out uh, pantheism or pantheism? Pantheism, I guess. Well, I know what, pantheism is the, kind of what we're talking about, the belief that God's in a bean, right? It's like all, all <laughs> is God is like the, the thing. You know, it's like basically right. is everything is God. And there's like, I kind of a friend of mine was like, "You should check that." Sounds like that's what you're talking about. And so I checked it out one time, and there was this one quote that stuck with me that I really liked that I found on this website. That was, uh, "Divinity does not transcend reality, mm. or at least divinity does not have to transcend reality." Like everything we see, like how you know, you watch these clouds shifting and changing shapes, and you just see you see a wave. You know, we've talked a lot about waves, but I'll see waves and I'll look at them, and it's like a miracle to of me. Of course, it's like. It's that, not that the truth isn't being said to you. It's yeah. that you can't hear it. Yeah. I mean, it's you can, you find, haven't you can been find that divinity in everything around us every That's morning right. when you wake up. Every That's night, right. You know? That's right. And there is something about waves. And yeah. there is a, the first time I went serving, Rob Bell. Do you know Rob Bell? I think you'd love him. Anyway, he mm-hmm. and I used to serve all the time. And seeing the backs of waves, it's almost yeah. like seeing a secret. It's right. like people never see the backs That's of cool. waves. That's yeah. cool. And you're just sitting. That was my favorite part of surfing is not getting up and surfing. It was waiting for waves. I like that so much more. But one time we were paddle boarding and a, and a, a whale went you right You can come surfing us. with me anytime. I'm coming. I'll, I'll get all the waves. <laughs> you just, you look at I won't, I'll just be the guy making jokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will not steal any of them. Yeah, exactly. But uh, a whale went underneath our paddleboard, oh, like wow. right under really? us. Really? Wow, that's amazing. And I couldn't tell you one thing about it. Right. And that's what I feel like metaphors are for. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it felt like a, a loud sound. Yeah. But there was no sound. It, was, right. it wasn't literally yeah, sound. Yeah, it yeah. felt like a sound. Right. It, was so mag- it was so magnificent, so huge. That's the only yeah. way I can even begin. Like yeah. I saw something covered in barnacles. It was green and wow. gray. Amazing. And it went up right so close to me. I've been close to them too, man. That is a, that is, it will make you feel small, huh? Like being next to a whale. It's... And the only way I can convey it to you yeah. is with, a, is with is a story. Yeah. Is with a, it was like this. or And then yeah, when yeah, we yeah, get yeah. into, that's an analogy obviously, but right. if you get into like, a real thick metaphor, I can really get you lost in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? A, yeah. a whale that was a sound. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. That was infinite. So what about, it's kind of a crude way to get into it, and we're almost out of time. Um, what about death? Yeah. Uh, do you think we go around and around? Does it go I think, on and uh, on? I think soul compost. I think it's like compost. That's like, <laughs> so, I don't know, I like gardening a lot, you know, and so it's... It, well, that's this, Anne Lamont. She's like, every mystery yeah. of the universe is in the garden. It is, though. You know, and it's like, same with, you know, surfing. I feel really fortunate to have time to, that's like, nowadays with kids, it's like, if I can get 40 minutes to get out there and just get a few waves, it's nice. But I mean, as a kid growing up, I'd spend hours. And if I didn't have too much homework, I'd come home from school and I'd be in the ocean for four hours sometimes, you know. And mm. 
it's a really peaceful place to be able to spend time, and it's uh, and you're grounded. It, it's like a time to meditate in a way. But then yeah, there's sure. something different. Like in the garden, you can sort of look at all these different metaphors or analogies or whatever you want to call them. Well, that's what Campbell talks about. The the resurrection metaphor is yeah. a, is a result of agriculture. Yeah, it's exactly. The seed a lot of getting cultures, buried yeah. and growing back yeah. up. Yeah, and it's I mean. So to me, I mean, that's the best sense I can make of it. It's like I love. But you feel that I love composting. Actually, it sounds like such a dorky thing. I love compost. Yeah. But it's it's I do. We do all of our food scraps in this little bin in our counter, and then I take that out. And it's like it's funny because my wife and I share a lot of responsibilities, but the compost is all mine. She doesn't. You know, <laughs> she's really into the idea of it, but it's always like, honey, the compost is full. You know, it's yeah. Like one of those things she never does. Sorry, babe. But I'll all, but I like. I'd never even ask her to because like that little trip out to this spot where we have our compost area because I got like two different kinds i got the one where i open this thing up and i'll put um well first i'll start i'll walk over here and i'll put all the stuff the worms like so we we do the vermicomposting which worms don't really like orange peels and they don't really like onions and garlic so i kind of go through it and i'll give the worms the banana peels and i'll give them the you know like whatever the eggplant and stuff and and i'll give them all the little they don't only like a certain amount you put too much you start getting other kind of bugs so my point is, is like you get the really, really good compost from these worms, and you got to kind of take care of them. And then the other one, I just go over and dump all the rest. And then I take some of the uh, the mulch that I have, a big pile of mulch that you kind of let get where it's carbon and brown, and I'll put that on top, and I make the layers. So this is like my little area that I go out and I spend a little time composting every day. And wow. then, and then you know, in a few months and different times for different batches, it's like I'll get this stuff that like when I add this, I haven't bought soil in ten years. It's like I only make my own, you know, and so. So then you go and you add the stuff to the garden and then you watch the difference where like all of a sudden all the plants just start going, thank you. And they start sprouting. And so I don't know. It's like it's like wow. giving back and it's like this energy that came from a living thing, this fruit or right. vegetable. And then it's gone. My kid ate it. You know, it's like the banana's gone, but the peel's still there. And you put it in and you watch as you start to turn it. And then that kind of disappears slowly, decomposes back into this thing that when you have this thing, which is now your compost, it's like you put it back into the garden and it all starts over. Mm. And so, I mean, that's the only thing I can... Kind of but it's hope. a clue from the universe. It's not something so. that yeah, you yeah. made up. I think so. It's what? like you go back in and like that's and until you really think that is the truth, which I kind of think that's the truth, once you see that, like the interconnectedness that was I didn't quite say no, interconnectedness. Yeah, no, you nailed it. Of all things, it's like how can you avoid that when it's like we just all become compost and it's like give energy for like new life. So when you see a new baby coming into the world, who knows? Like your grandpa might have been part of that baby. Or right, you know, right, 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 right. I'm a there hippie. Might- <laughs> you don't realize what a safe space you're in. I mean, that's not yeah, even good, that good. far out. Right, but do you identify as, a, as as your mind, or do you think of yourself as a spirit? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know if I've ever really, like, decided that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think you get a time with your mind, I guess, if I had to think about it. I'm going to say an answer, and then I'm going to go, like, later today, be like, oh, wrong answer. No, no, I go the other way. No, I just get don't, I don't know, yeah. Don't feel on the spot I either. feel we are people, you know, we were given that time, and we have our own thoughts and all that, but we're very affected by our parents as we grow up. Everybody, I mean, you, you know, everybody gives you the influence as you grow up. There's so, my dad passed away a while ago, and, like, there's so many things I see my brothers do now and myself that I'll just be like, wow. That's him. We really are. Like, it's not just, yeah. we're not just saying it to comfort ourselves. Like, we are him, you know. And yeah. I'll tell my kids that. It's like, that's, that's the beauty of life. It's like... When I go, you guys are me. It's like everything I'm getting, you guys are me and mom. It's like everything right. we tell you guys, it's right. like slowly you're becoming us. Right. And it's, uh, anyways. No, that's very interesting. I think that's beautiful. What a great answer. I'm never going to forget that compost answer. <laughs> I love that compost, compost that's, answer. I got to give half of that to my friend Zach, the piano player. No. Nope. We, we always talk about that. Just my, okay, <laughs> that was 100% sorry, you. Okay. Sorry, Zach. You can use it too, Zach. That was not you. Let me look here. I'm going to make sure we didn't get to talk about mushrooms. Have you taken mushrooms? Uh 
You yeah. don't want to talk about it? <laughs> You're a musician, man. You're allowed to take mushrooms. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, they're amazing. Doesn't that... Well, we don't really have time. No, no I, don't, I don't take them all the time. You know, I... <laughs> you it's do... been a long time. Um, man, there's, we could talk about anything, but maybe we'll talk again another time. In, That'd be In great. interest of your time, it's, it's almost 1230 here. Can you just tell me the time, one of the times, that you've laughed really, really hard? It doesn't have to be a good story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can just be you and your brothers farted. It doesn't matter. Well, a fart, I mean, it's hard to beat a fart when it's you're young. It's hard you know? to beat it's a like, fart. I do, <laughs> I do remember this one time that in Spanish class where, um, where my friend Adam learned. I forget now if it was him or me that farted, but we were sitting next to each other. And one of us farted, and we just started laughing so hard. And it was one of those ones where you knew you shouldn't be laughing, but you can't. then it makes it worse, and you can't stop. And then the teacher made us Church sit out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it must where be. Where you're not supposed to laugh. Because then we had to go so sit outside, and we still, she kept coming out, be like, are you guys ready? And then we just start laughing again. We, could, we just had to sit outside the whole class. Yeah, that was one, but there was a church laugh, too, when I went and saw these Gregorian monks one time come out, and they took so long, and it was so quiet, and it was this beautiful theater. And everybody was, I, I was really excited to hear what these things, they just, it was like these telescope kind of things, telescopic instruments. They just kept growing and they became these long horns. And I was like, whoa, it's going to be majestic, you know? <laughs> and then uh, it just, when they started blowing it, it was like, <laughs> again, a fart joke. No. But me and my friend, I, no. I was a freshman in college and we had to go to this thing like for, it was an ethnomusicologist class, whatever you call it. It's like world music. And. So it's one of the things no. you know, they go to a certain amount of performances, and this is at Campbell Hall, ten thousand, whatever I think is, I don't know how many people, two thousand people, and everybody's in suits and stuff. It's like mostly adults and like a couple of freshmen that have to take this class, and we're sitting there. And I looked at my friend, and, and then he looked at me, and I was like shaking my head, like "Don't do it, don't do it." And both of us just, oh and then my we, God. it was told, the lady next to us said, "Leave now, you guys got to get out here," and we had to leave. My so I, God, I, oh, I felt so bad. You shouldn't. They, they're doing it for laughs. <laughs> I mean, they're like, was, get the fart horn, was, <laughs> Henry. We took the vow of playing the fart horn once for the children. Oh, my God. Because you expected to be like... I'm sweating right now telling that story because I remember the way it felt. In there. I, you think I it's going to be deep and majestic? Oh, well, I had so much respect for these guys, and like, I really didn't want to be laughing at all. And that's what made the laugh so much harder oh, and so much harder to stop. Isn't that funny? Oh. A world where we can just laugh isn't as good as a, a world where we're not supposed to laugh. Yeah, I guess so. That's like a, I think that's a deep truth. Yeah. Do you have your guitar? I, I brought it with me. You want to play it? Yeah. Would you mind? Yeah. I would love it. Maybe something... Well, what do you want to play? I want to play You Willie Got Me Stone and Took All My Money. Yes. Is that all right? I would love to hear that. And the record is out now. It's amazing. I listened to it on the ride over and this week, ever Thanks. since I knew you were coming on. And I felt dumb for not having listened to it earlier. Oh, that's right. I just what? watched your show last night. So yeah, that's exactly we're, it. We're even. That's exactly <laughs> it. And what is, what is the record called, just so people can find it? Uh, the record's called All the Light Above It, too. Wait, that's like the sun line. All the, yeah, that's, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I was I didn't know that was on. the name no. of the record because I was like, that's the that's, line that tripped me out. That's the theme of the album in my mind. You know, it's like I put all the songs down. Do you need to end at a certain time for your show, or is it? No, no, I'm, okay, I'm getting out of here for you. Okay, no worries. And so. Um, yeah, to me, that's the theme of the record is like you try your best to explain things to your kids. And at some point, you just have to be like, you know what? I don't know everything, kids. You, like you try to act like the dad who's got it all figured out. Of course. That's kind of where I'm at in life. And like the perspective I'm coming from right now is like, how do I explain this stuff to my kids? And then I try to put them in songs, you know. And in the end, like that's the way the songs felt to me. It's like I'm trying to share with you the way I feel about things. But in the end, it's like we're just part of this multiverse that's like expanding and contracting around other universes. And, <laughs> and who knows what the true meaning of any of this is. I and wish my like, dad had said that. This light is shining that way and this way, like you were talking about before, it's going yes. right past us. Yes. And so I didn't want it to sound like a sequel, All the Light Above It too. 
I realized afterwards it kind of sounds like there was a part one. But anyways, it meant Well, most Steph like, has a record called All the Light Above It. So oh, really? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, my God. You almost gave me a heart attack. I'm sure he already hates me. No. And you're, and you're we the, almost collaborated one time. We were like sending track, a track back and forth. It didn't work out. No but, way. I, I really love most Steph's music. Me too. He's amazing. Let me just tune this thing over. Please. Take out. This is like a sonic condom. This is the uh, called the feedback buster. Is that for live shows? Yeah, so that the, you don't get the feedback loop going ah, when you have a band playing with you. Okay. But my sound guy calls it the sonic condom. <laughs> <laughs> Tampons in the water camera. Yeah. All right, let's see if I can remember all the lyrics here. <clears throat> no one will know if you don't. <laughs> That's this Broncor alphabet. got me stone and took all my money I was $50 up and then my mind went funny it didn't really help that I didn't know the rules of the game probably didn't help that I couldn't remember my name after Willie got me stone and took all my cash one high low split and then he kicked my ass he gave me knuckles across the table then my mind went blurry just like a puff of smoke all my cash went up in a hurry after Willie got me stone took me for everything I had I had to walk home, I had no money for a cab I didn't have the heart to ask anybody for a ride Nobody in the room seemed any condition to drive After Willie got a stone and took away my mind Sent me back to the kiddie table, he took away my pride Now I'm sitting here with my band again, just feeling like a joker Just thinking about how bad I really suck at playing poker And thinking about my pockets, and was Willie the one who broke them Would I really take a toke if they rolled Willie up and they smoked him? Hell yes, I would, and I know it might sound funny, but Willie got me stoned and took all of my. Willie got me stoned and took all my money. Willie got me stoned and took all my money. Hell yes, I would, and I know it might sound funny, but Willie got me stoned and took all of my money. (laughs) There you go. That's amazing and true. And true, yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy night. It was a funny night too, because like there was, it was after a music festival, so it was like, you know, those moments where you see like everybody on the stage put their arms around each other's shoulders, so, shoulders, and they start waving at the crowd, and they're kind of doing like a big together bow. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And you want to think like when you see them talking, they're like, "That was the best show I think I've ever had." Yeah, yeah. me too, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like we were in that, and I was lucky enough to be next to Willie, and he leaned over to me. He's like, "Hey." Want to go back to my house and play some poker? <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, let's do it. And so, anyways, it ended up being like it was like Ben Harper and Jackson Brown and uh, Willie Nelson and like all these musicians and stuff. It was a really funny night. Wow. And there was like there's so many of us that there was like two tables: one for the guys that actually knew how to play poker, and then one for the guys that didn't. And I definitely was one of those guys. But at one point, Willie was like, "Hey, Jack, come on over here. We know each other, pre- you know, pretty well at this point. I've done some shows with them and stuff." And so. He, like, called me over to this table, and I was, like, not ready. And it, was, uh, and it was, you know, like the song explains, there was, like, a lot of herb. And, and so I was, like, really lost with my thoughts, and then all of a sudden I'm there. And I, I, had, I had some money, not a whole lot, but I had, like, enough to stay in for a few rounds, and it just kept dwindling. And then at one point I was just thinking, I just got to get through this. And this guy next to me at one point, like, leaned over, and he was like, hey, just so you know, Willie never folds. And I was like... Okay, and I was like, I didn't even know what that meant, you know, really. And I was like, okay, and so I was like, really intimidated. And then, and then all of a sudden, at one point, I just kind of kept putting my cards down. And 
I looked and everybody started like kind of clapping and stuff and then like pat me on the back and then I looked over and Willie's like leaning across the table with his knuckles out and I'm like what's going on I, I gave Willie knuckles and then everybody started like putting half the pot over to me and all of a sudden I was like back in I had all this cash again so I guess it was called a high-low split oh you like, were the low I, I was the low <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't even shooting for it <laughs> I was just putting them up on the table. You played badly enough to win. I did. That's I incredible. Did for one round, one round. That's incredible. And that was it. Well, thanks, man. This you feel good? Feel great. How are you feeling? I feel fantastic. Right on. Thanks I always for just having want to me. check in. Yeah, please. Yeah. It was an honor to have you. Been a fan for many, many years. Uh, likewise. Wish well, you success. For many days now. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. And and thank you for watching the show. Years. I'm excited. I appreciate that. And congratulations I, on the, thanks, the next man. the next series. And you too on everything. Yeah. On living what I'm I'm going to continue to imagine is an incredible life. If that's okay. Well, all these lives are incredible, so we're lucky to have them, aren't we? <laughs> that's true. Yeah. We always have the guests say the catchphrase at the end, which is keep it crispy. I'd be honored if you'd say keep it crispy. Keep it crispy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I loved it more than, <laughs> more than usual. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. I see my honey shoes, they fit I'm so crispy. I'm so crispy. My ice can make you haters want to get me. Now leaving Nerdist.com.